Hello, and welcome to Humans of Magic. I'm so happy to introduce my guest this week. He is Marshall Sutcliffe. Marshall is the host of Limited Resources and also the creator of an amazing YouTube channel called Wristwatch Revival. In this episode, we're going to get into all kinds of topics. It's probably one of the more conversational podcasts I've done. It was a super enjoyable experience, and Marshall is just an absolutely amazing person to talk to. So that's pretty much the setup. If you are watching this or listening to this, you probably know Marshall Sutcliffe from his content much better than Humans of Magic. So let's get right to it. A quick word about my Patreon before we start. If you would like to support the show, there are basically two ways. The first way is to tell your friends about it, it to spread the word. That's huge. That would really help Humans of Magic in terms of getting out there. The second way is in terms of having a little bit of financial support via the Humans of Magic Patreon. So if you're willing to support the show, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash humansofmagic. And if you sign up for the Patreon, you can get a little bit of extra perks. For example, the Discord community, you can get early previews or uh, early releases of all the episodes before they go out. You can get a little bit of extra behind the scenes content. But most importantly, you can help me keep this show alive. Uh, Humans of Magic is a part-time labor of love, and any support you can show will be much appreciated. Who was it? Oh, what's his name? Um, wow, this is bad. Cedric's friend? Uh, <laughs> Cedric's friend. Peasoli. Peasoli, yeah. Yeah, it was um, awesome. He, he's... That, he's... That, was actually, that was actually a really interesting one because um, it was one of the few episodes I started doing again without uh this is just like nitty gritty but like without actual video because he couldn't find <laughs> his webcam oh but okay what I realized doing I did I did one with him recently without a webcam and also another guest that is Brian Gottlieb without a webcam oh yeah uh, and I actually found this to be kind of nice again like I had forgotten what it was like to <laughs> podcast without video and it actually seemed like more comfortable you know what I mean like yeah did, I guess you you guys never had that problem, right? Because it was mm -hmm. always done with uh, with visual in mind. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. For years and years and years, we didn't. Um, but more recently, we started doing video for YouTube, um, and I liked it better because like I could yell at Luis. Because <laughs> like I was always, you know, like you see how close I am to this mic. I'm only telling him like, dude, you got to get close to your mic. And he's just like, I am. And I'm like, I can tell you're not like, I can't see you, oh, but I, I see, can I tell. see. You can, you can actually confirm yeah. that. He and is in can, fact. and the, one of the first times we recorded with video, he's like, I am. I'm like, dude, I can see you. And he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he's on me and pulls the mic up. And I'm like, that's right. I'm like, are you wearing your headphones? Yeah. And then I'd always hear this rustling around and this clicking and then he'd sound uh, different. Okay. Know? Okay. And now I could just tell. <laughs> you now, now that was a way to uh to put it politely to to verify or to vet what's going on yeah yeah, yeah that's a nice way to put it yeah so you never had the you for you there never was an issue with transitioning to to video right i mean mm -hmm. it's it's just more work for editing but i guess you're used to stuff like that yeah it was it was no issue yeah super easy yeah it just adds like one extra editing step but even then it's pretty streamlined i don't do anything crazy with it so it makes yeah. it easy well, this is very this is a very meta question, but did you did you enjoy the Patrick Sullivan episode? <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. I, I thought it was great. I mean, he he's you know just a 
kind of a special speaker, you know, like it, he just is so able to construct his thoughts in a way that's digestible. And, you know, even though he likes to throw in his fancy words every once in a while, he uses them appropriately, <laughs> you know, so it's like it, it actually enhances, you know, what he's saying. And it's not just to try to make himself look smart or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, I like that you dug in a little bit behind the scenes about what the expectations were for their new venture and, and how that was going and, and how he felt about it because he's a pretty straight shooter. You know, he doesn't really pull punches and I was curious about it. I, you know, I don't really talk to him like one-on-one -on -one very much, maybe only a couple of times. Uh, we've had a couple of chats online, but if I see him in real life, then we'll, we'll catch up or we'll talk about basketball or we've even played basketball a few times together and stuff. But, um, but yeah, it was, I, yeah, I thought that was a really, really well done interview. There was a previous episode I had with Patrick Sullivan, and we actually went really, really in depth into basketball. And uh, you were on his all time all time top five because I asked him like, "Who's your all time top five Magic players?" Oh, Assuming you guys were in your are in your peak, right? Because he was telling me about how, you know, obviously Father Time is undefeated. Yes. And uh, but you are you still playing three times a week or yeah. how, however many times? I do. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I'm still just as good. I might be better now than I was then. Like I actually still is it is it the improve. old man game? Like did you did you get no, savvier I mean, or I had to transition to old man game about eight or ten years ago or something like because I used to just sort of rely on athleticism and my height um, to just sort of run around people or jump over people and stuff. But back then I had to I had to say okay I can't quite do that to the level I used to and so I transitioned my game to a much smarter brand of basketball you know threes and layups <laughs> no mid-range okay, modern nba stuff like yeah threes and it layups. really is though i mean and also you know i had learned strategy games uh poker and magic and stuff and apply that same mentality to kind of everything in life in fact i find the hard part about it is to not apply it to everything like to recognize when hey it's just it feels right just it's okay to just do this you know you don't need to like run a cost benefit analysis on some stupid little decision or something that's more of an emotional choice or whatever. But when it comes to stuff like games, like sports and basketball and everything like that, then it's really useful. And I, I think I'm way more effective now on the court than I used to be. I mean, I'm just like a much better three point shooter. Like now I'm actually just a good three point shooter. And since I'm tall, I can get my shot off over almost anybody, you know, at the You're rec six level. five, right? Yeah. That... Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's... so, you know, so I can, you know, really affect the game in that way. And then it really opened up the court for me too, because like I said, I used to just be athletically like better. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm 45 now, so my athleticism has declined a lot, but, but when I was younger, I could, you know, run and jump and stuff around people, but now I need a little help. So like if I shoot a couple of threes and make them now, people are standing really close to me really far from the hoop and I can, I'm still fast enough to get around them then. And then I can, you know, go do something to pass it off or go get a layup or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I still play all the time. I love it. I'm playing tomorrow. Like I just, it, it's literally the highlight of my week. I, basketball is the one thing in my whole life that I've, I've had a love affair with end to end, like just yeah. unending excitement for that. Yeah, yeah, I'll still watch it anytime. I'll play it anytime. I love it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that team that shall not be named. Uh, uh, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're in give, Seattle. But, give uh... me a couple of years, and I think they'll be back. I, I legit think like the rumor mill has been going strong enough on that that I think we're actually going to get 
get a team back. So oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. And, and how did and then you, we can uh, say their name again, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, there'll be a future pod for sure. Uh, yeah. how, how did you work on your three-point shot? You must have spent a lot of time in the gym, right? It's not because you can't just work on it for, during pickups. No, I what I did is um, I, I live um, in downtown Seattle now. But before I moved here, um, I lived in Edmonds, which is, you know, about 10 or 15 miles north of here. And there was a gym that was a few miles from my house and I, I had a gym membership there. And basically what I would do is I would get home from work, do dinner, do all that kind of stuff. My girlfriend would go to sleep and then I would go down to the gym and they, they were up until 11 and I'd usually get down there at about 10 and I would just get up. I would have like a routine and I would just get up threes. I would do, you know, running pull-ups. I would do pull-ups to the left, pull-ups to the right, pull-ups straight ahead. And then I would just do like sort of set shots and I would just shoot, 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 shoot. And you know how it goes. It doesn't feel like anything's happening. And the next thing you know, you're just banging a bunch of threes in a game and you never used to really do that. And it's like, Oh, you know, now all of a sudden this is kind of my thing. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I worked on it. I really did. Um, the last few years I haven't, well, I haven't felt like I've needed to really like it kind of is what it is. I could probably, you know, it, we're kind of in the fine tuning stage for it for threes. So, and I can get my shot when I want most of the time. So mm -hmm. it just sort of is what it is. There's stuff I want to work on, uh, no doubt about it, but usually I just play now. Usually it's just like, I have two pickup games and then a men's league. So, I mean, you're playing so regularly, so you're staying sharp on uh, from that sense. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. kill those guys tomorrow. <laughs> I can't. That's wait. why. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's good to look forward to things, especially when you you enjoy it and you're playing at a, a decent level. And man, this is going so far away from magic. But I, I really want to know, like, how do you how do you what do you do in terms of conditioning? Because I've actually given up on basketball in recent years, and mm -hmm. I've thought about getting back to it. If I, I think one of the challenges is just the for me at least the wear and tear on the body and uh, all the injuries I've ever had in life were from basketball. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a long distance runner now, but, but I mean, oh, like, okay. how do you, how do you stay uh, in shape and how do you, how do you avoid injury? I guess this may be the better question. Yeah. I mean, I've had a few injuries over the last few years and I've had to, so, so one thing is that when I do get an injury, um, I take it very seriously now where younger me would have been like, and eh, walk it off or just wait or, you know, go back a little early or whatever. Now I don't do that. Like I go to the physical therapist and I do literally whatever they say. Like if they're like, do this band work, do these things, wait six weeks. I just do all of those things. And when, and then when I say, okay, I'm going to go back and play, they say, all right, you know, play 30 minutes and then stop. And then load walk management, out, walk yeah. out of the gym and let <laughs> yeah. your body recover and see how it does. And then the next time you play, you can go to 45, you know, and then you can get back to your regular whatever. Right. And now I actually do that where younger me would have not completely ignored it, but would have fudged those numbers or pushed the boundaries a little bit just because I wanted to play. Um, I also spent some time with one of them once where I, I basically bought an extra session after I had been injured, but I was recovered. And I said, I want you to teach me how to warm up like properly because I went from being young and just running out onto the court and dunking and, you know, feeling great about it to then being mid thirties, let's say, and not really needing like a full warm up, but feeling like, you know, something would get a little strained, a little tweaked, a little whatever if I didn't, but I could kind of, 
get in there. And now mid forties, it's like, no, I, I need a full, like, I need a warm up. Like I'm not that mobile, but like when I just go out on the court, I feel like crap, you know, everything hurts muscles. I have to stretch out into my hands so I can, I mean, just every dumb thing. And I have a pretty thorough warm up routine. And like, you know, if the guys, if I'm there and they're like, all right, you know, first game you're up, I'll say no. I'll just mm -hmm. be like, I'm not playing. Like, I'm not ready. Like, I, I can go up there and go back and forth, but I'm just going to be, like, useless. Mm -hmm. You know, I need 15 to 20 minutes to get my body right. And uh, and then when I get to that point, yeah, it doesn't feel perfect, but it's, like, pretty good, you know. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that I focus on. I mean, most of the exercise I get is just by playing basketball. Like, I don't go on the treadmill or anything like that. I just can't stand that stuff. No, I that's boring. A, yeah, competition. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. All right. Are you the most competitive when you're on the basketball court compared to maybe other pursuits? Mm, I would say I'm as competitive as I get, which is really competitive. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you know, it's with all the things I do, I really, really want to win, you know, um, same mm -hmm. thing with poker and magic and even content and stuff like that. I just have that built in gear, mm -hmm. you know, where I, I don't know why, but I just, I want to prove myself or, you know, beat somebody or whatever. Mm -hmm. Where do you think I, that comes from? Like wanting to crush it? I think it's completely innate. My parents weren't built like that. I wasn't raised like that. There's no, I don't, I don't, I don't have an older brother that used to kick the crap out of me and made me like, I just like, you had just one me. sister. I'm assuming she didn't do that. Right. Yeah, I do. And she, no, I did it to her, <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but not her to me, but yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, I attribute it to just completely how I was born, you know, because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's just inside of me. It's never gone anywhere. I just have, I would just, when I play magic, I just want to crush the other person. Like I, I, I want them to like, I want them to feel bad. Mm. Like, I want them to regret firing up magic online and joining that vintage cube. Like, <laughs> I don't know why, like, I'm not a mean guy. I, I'm nice yeah. to people and stuff, but you know, when, when it's in a structured environment where it's like, you walked in here, I walked in here, right? We both knew the We rules, know what we signed up for. Right? right. Then I'm like, game on, right? Like, I don't feel that way walking down the street, you right. know, or talking it's to not people. Like, it's not like you're just pulling somebody in like, hey, play this basketball game. Right? No, no. <laughs> and, and, I, and I hate people that are overly competitive and things that aren't meant to be. I find that really annoying. The truth is I am built that way. So I just have to like mm -hmm. the few times when I actually just get to be fully competitive, I embrace it and I just mm -hmm. kind of go for it. I think that's actually why, uh, whoever it was created games and competitions, right? It seems to be the only, one of the few safe bastions to be overly competitive and yeah. not be frowned upon, like just right. in a magic game or in a basketball game or something. Right. And, and I think that as long as you're not a jerk, you know, there's room for that. Like, again, it's just, it's, you know, you're sitting down with other people who are like-minded. That's, that's, I like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm going to assume that you, you're not spending a lot of time playing commander or casual magic that you, you know what you like and you know what you like to do in terms of content, right? Yeah. I, I did try it. I tried commander and I, and I definitely trying it out allowed me to see the, uh, appeal. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't hit me in the core of what I find enjoyable about magic and about competitiveness and gaming and stuff like that. So that's why it didn't really stick with me, but I get it. 
Like I really do. Cause I mean, I remember when I first started playing magic, I was pretty casual and I, uh, I liked looking through binders of cards to find cards that could go into the deck that I was building and learning about new cards and things that, it, that I'd never seen before that had been forgotten or whatever. And I liked it when a new set would come out and I would say, Oh, that's going to go in my blankety blank deck that I've got. I, I think that that's a core part of magic that basically got lost in between the first few years when it came out and when commander came back uh, right. because you know, that that didn't exist for your you know standard deck like you're just taking those deck lists online so you know having a deck that's yours that you put a lot of personal effort into that is in some way a representation of your personality or part of your personality and being able to slowly add on to it change it around pour over cards online or in in a game store or at a friend's house or when the new cards come out and adjust your deck or add to it or make upgrades or whatever is a really fun long-term kind of project. And then the idea that you actually get to take that thing that you've built and put it out into the world in a way that shows how you think, how you approach these things is beautiful. I think it's awesome. It's just, for me, my mindset switched after I came back to Magic towards the interesting thing to me is, is to take this really complicated set of things like a whole bunch of cards and distill them down to what's most important and then put them into action to see if 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 you are right if if your ideas and theories and everything um decisions the lack of discipline your risks that you took the rewards that you got if if they all panned out to make it so you actually won mm -hmm. that's the part i like yeah i think building uh I, I shouldn't say just building a commander deck but just building a deck for commander or playing commander you're trying to figure out your right in terms of quote-unquote fun or in terms <laughs> of synergy with your own cards so it's mm -hmm. a very different type of uh proving yeah. itself it's a harder i think it's a harder um target to define and that's another thing that i i, I struggle with with that as well which is just you know if, if you're playing a, a draft or if you're building a constructed deck for a tournament you know your bar is simple like did you win did it do well did it perform how you expected but in commander you're trying to hit this kind of arbitrary fun target and that is very much defined by individuals or play groups not generally you know it's not like there's no ruling about it being fun right everybody has a different definition of what's fun for them or what what's enjoyable or interesting for them about building and playing out a, a deck of magic cards so you know you could definitely find yourself sitting down with a group of people who do not agree with your definition and then you ruin their fun and that to me is just like, that's the literal last thing I'd ever want to do is sit down with people and have them go, who's this guy? Mm -hmm. You know, like I said before about basketball or sports or whatever, like I never want to be the person in the room who's overbearingly competitive. I want to be lined up with the other people who are, are with me. And so, yeah, you know, and without that compass, it, it can be very difficult to try to hit a, a target that that's acceptable you know sure or you could find yourself the unintentional jerk for some reason totally. because just the the values that you and your uh fellow players are different whereas i think uh in competitive formats there's 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 no line that you accidentally cross yeah. or don't cross it's very yeah. intentional like you decide whether or not you want to angle shoot you decide whether or not yes. you don't want to <laughs> shake someone's hand right that's that's yes. different yeah. yes and you very you're very aware that you're breaking those norms when you break them. 
do you think so? I mean, you've done a lot of coverage. You watched a lot of players. Do you think people? It's kind of like chicken and the egg, right? Are there just people that are like sociopathic or don't have graces that happen to play magic, or do you think they play magic and decide to break those things? Um, I think it's much more rare that you have somebody who does those things on accident. I I think that sometimes people that are newer, like if if you come into a magic tournament setting, for example, there are a lot of norms there that are very easy to break and would make you look like a jerk, even though you, you weren't meaning to, but you would have to be quite new to not pick those up. Humans are very, very good at picking those type of things up very quickly. Um, cultural norms. If you live in a different country um, or even a different part of the country, you know, like our country has, you know, us has a whole bunch of different stuff and you pick up these cultural norms really quickly. They're very codified in magic, especially competitive magic terms about shaking hands or the way that you communicate with somebody or calling judges or all of those type of things. And I think that that window's relatively short. So by the time, you know, you mentioned I had done a bunch of coverage, by the time I'm watching you on coverage, you know, I kind of feel like there's a baseline of competence already. If you're, if you're almost all the time, if you're, if you're choosing to, to break those norms, you're doing it on purpose. Mm. I guess people just don't care or they just, maybe they don't think they'll get, caught or whatever it is yeah i mean it's rare you know that's the good news you know most of the that that it's it's a rarity for people to go against that again we're kind of socially trained creatures so you know we we have a something deep inside of us that doesn't want to be left out i don't know you know there's probably some psychological thing behind it or whatever but it's obvious when you watch humans behave that they don't want to be the one who's left out or or pushed out of the group or whatever. So it, it is quite rare. I mean, I think you probably have to have something wrong with you to, you know, keep doing that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to congratulate you. I, uh, this is like a really bad transition, but we're talking about magic already, but I, I, I'm so happy that, uh, LR limited resources has hit like past episode 700. I mean, I don't know if that's a particular milestone for you because maybe you already celebrated when it was 100 or 500. But <laughs> yeah. I listened to the 700 show with, you had Ryan Spain, the first co-host mm-hmm. on. And I was struck by how unsentimental it was. Like, it was just like, yeah, okay, we, we're at 700. Let's just talk about magic now. Talk about the Vintage Cube. Like, is that is that just, I, it seems like you know your audience, right? But I, I guess the... I, I just congrats, but I mean, is that, is that how always how it's been? Like, okay. Yeah. Like check, let's keep going. Yeah, it is. I, thank you. I, I appreciate that. We just recorded seven twenty one yesterday and, and it went up last night. Um, yeah, that is how it's always been. I, it's a weakness of mine. If I'm being honest, I, I don't like to, I don't celebrate enough. I don't stop and smell the roses enough. I, I'm the type of person that's like, once you start patting yourself on the back too much, it can get out of hand. And I'm just like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, like next, right? Like what's next? I'm always trying to look forward to the next thing and to keep the grind going and all that. And I don't, and I think it's, I don't, I don't think it's a good thing. I think that I should be more excited that we got 700, but the truth is I'm not, I don't, it doesn't hit me on an emotional level at all. Um, and none of those milestones ever have. So I've done them because I know that the listeners like them. <laughs> but if it were me, I would just do another episode because, you know, there's there's two reasons. I But 
there's a main reason, which is that it feels self-congratulatory, and I don't really like that. I just find that a little, I don't know, embarrassing or something. And also, I've built my whole content creation career off of some core ideals, and one of them is that I am making the thing that I'm making for the audience, not for my gratification. Mm -hmm. And so I always try, I always, no matter what, try to put myself in the shoes of the person who's listening or watching what I'm making. And while there's definitely a little bit of room for, hey, we hit a nice milestone, it's like, okay, they didn't really come here to to listen to me talk about They're here me. for limited content. They want to, yeah. they want to get better at draft. They want to listen to what our thoughts are on stuff. And so I'm like, I don't feel comfortable taking a large section of a podcast and talking about me or us or our accomplishments or whatever the things that I'm proud of. I will say it to like Luis or to Ryan or we'll reminisce every once in a while. Oh man, remember we started and remember the first episode, remember that, you know, and that's fun for us over dinner. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not something that I'm like super stoked to put on the actual content. I have realized though that people do, there is a personal element to this of course, and that they like to cheer you on. So I don't want to completely ignore those things. I just don't like overdoing it, you know? So usually what I try to do is, is use it as, a, as an excuse to say thank you to the listeners and the viewers who supported us and listen to us and made it so that the thing that we're doing is a thing at all and then get back to business, you know, mm. and I just, uh, I don't know, man, I just not, I'm just not built like that. You know, I get <laughs> embarrassed. I'm actually like really a pretty shy person. Like I, I, I don't like attention like that. It makes me uncomfortable. Like I just, I feel like I'm bragging or like I'm, you just want the work horn. to speak for itself. Right. Right. And so I just want to keep putting out the work. Right. I don't want to take time away from the work to talk about myself. So, yeah. Right. Right. So you do feel, you do feel good about it or you do talk to uh, folks in private about it, but it's not something you feel like you need to really broadcast like 24 seven or just parts of how you're feeling or parts of your life. Yeah. It's more like I need to be told and then I feel good about it. <laughs> like <laughs> when you said that, it made me feel good. When you said, Hey, congratulations on getting through 700 episodes. I felt good about that. But mm -hmm. when it happened, I didn't, I didn't think it was more like, Oh crap. So I guess this is <laughs> oh, crap. right. Like, Oh man, where'd that come from? Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, but when it is brought up, like when you said it or when other people in my life have said, Hey, you did something really cool. I now, in my wise old age have said, okay, dude, stop and, and say, this is good. Like, it isn't always going to be like this, right? right? Like you don't always, you know, I've made a bunch of stuff. Not everything sticks, not everything hits, not everything is around for as long as LR has been around. Right. And so like, take a damn minute and just say, Hey, that's cool. You know, like that's a special thing that happened to you. That's happening to you. Um, and so now I'm a little bit more able to do it, you know, at least personally, but mm -hmm. I think it also shows in your, on your social. I mean, I just do you just one very small trivial example. You're just not the kind of person I see that's just constantly tweeting and just constantly like broadcasting what you're yeah. doing 24 seven and no impulse control. And every, every random thought I feel like I have to tweet it. It's kind of like 
um i think you've you probably heard of casey neistat he's the yeah one of the 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 the, the grandfather of or the the godfather of like vlogging on youtube right Mm -hmm. i think he he said something recently which is like i used to be very active on twitter and now my strategy is whenever i feel like i want to tweet something on twitter i just don't (laughs) (laughs) i just i just i just stop myself Um, i'm the same way i I mean, there's two reasons for it. One, I've never really been built for that for the reasons that you said and that we just talked about where I'm actually kind of shy. I don't actually like to put myself out there that much. I not really like attention that much. Um, I like positive. I like it when people say, hey, I like what you do. That that does make me feel good, but it's it's not something that I need and I don't really get as much out of it as I think. I, I mean, I've been around now a bunch of people through my different jobs with content creation where I go, oh, that's that's the type of person, you know, the one that when somebody lifts up a camera, even if it's just a phone, they jump in front of it. Right. And they're like, Hey, I'm here, I'm doing this, you know, and they just, they soak it in, you know, they want, they want the attention and I'm not built like that. So that's part of it. I just don't think I was really made like I have social media for LR for myself. I have for wristwatch revival and it's just woefully underused because I just, every time I think about tweeting, I'm like, why would somebody care about this? You know, (laughs) I just like, I'm like, it's not, I'm not that special. I'm not, you know, some person that needs to be pontificating about every thought I have. And, and I just don't think that people, I, I don't know. So I, so I, I shy away from it. The other reason is at least specifically on Twitter is that, man, it really does get to be a lot. You know, I, everybody talks about it being like a hellscape and stuff. And I've traditionally always kind of seen it as like, well, you do get to mostly curate what you see. So if it's a hellscape, you know, you have some levers you can pull to make it less so. And that's mostly true. But I I do get what they're saying. It It is often that I will go on there and come away feeling a little bit worse than I did before I went on there. And it's kind of like, at some point, just behaviorally, I'll stop going back over and over again. And so like my Twitter use has declined pretty significantly. I'm on Instagram a fair bit for wristwatch revival, but even then I just don't post very much. You know, I just should be posting every other day and I should just take pictures of every little thing I'm doing. And, and I just, I, I always like have some, you know, new year's resolution to do it. And then I, it's just, I'm not built like that. No, it's, it's not, it's not that great anyways. I mean, I feel like a lot of these platforms are just really like uh, news on steroids. Mm-hmm. Like you're just getting even more and more real time. And I have to constantly remind myself even that just news in general, not even Twitter news, but just news in general is just not, you don't need to pay attention to this conflict that's going on in the world like 24 seven because you have no control over it. Yes. And I, I, if you really, if there's something really important, someone will probably let you know. Yes. Like it's just... I feel this the constant way. attention cycle is, is, yeah, is crazy. It's really hard because I feel that as a citizen of the world, I want to be informed, but I've realized the detriment that that causes me with almost no upside. So I have to, I have to be careful cause I'll just, I'll soak it all in, you know, and especially if you're online and that's where you're primarily getting your information, um, a, you're subject to a lot of bias one way or the other, which can be difficult to parse. Like I usually go to BBC news cause I feel that they're like at least attempting to be impartial. Mm-hmm. Um, so I trust them more or less. Um, it's also a, a non-American viewpoint, which I appreciate, but you know, even then all of the news organizations are incentivized to serve you mostly negative things and they add up 
They do. I mean, in my mind, they do for sure. Like you, you read, like if I go on BBC News app right now and I read the top five headlines, they're all going to be bad. Mm-hmm. And almost none of them will affect me directly. And I'll just feel kind of worse. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm, do I want to keep doing this? You know, it's like, yes, I do feel a responsibility to be informed, but like at what cost? Yeah. On a much smaller level, what what about MTG news? Like when you, I, I think you just had an episode with uh, Ben Sec where I haven't listened to it yet. You discussed the, the new booster format and I'm sure you've talked about, uh, you know, various threats to limited or uh, just magic in general over the past uh couple years right Mm -hmm. i mean how does that affect you if any i try to stay out of it mostly i used to be very very tuned into magic news but i I find it follows a similar trend where it's mostly sky is falling and but with no it's mostly from uninformed people because most people are uninformed about magic wizards of the coast being a publicly held company and business in general. Just business in general, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, it's like I, underst- like, I understand that that person has that viewpoint as a customer of the game. And it does. it is important. That perception matters. What they think does matter. But I'm not Wizards of the Coast. I don't have to take a pulse on whether people like this stuff or not. And I don't really care. Um, so for me... It's almost an exercise like for a good example would be that the episode we did with Ben is I had to get up to speed with Luis and Ben before the we recorded the show about the details on the pack changes because I only knew the top level stuff. Right. You know, and that's like part of my job. Like I've pulled away from the magic drama cycle enough to not have been fully informed on that, which is means I've pulled away a little bit too far. Right. Because I should I should know more, you know. Uh, about that type of stuff because it does affect my listenership and potentially me with the, with the changes to the packs. But generally everything that I've seen from wizards of the coast, you know, seems very straightforward to me in the sense of like chasing quarterly profits, squeezing, not quite as hard as you can, but about as hard as you can. And I'm like, that's what they're going to do. I don't expect them to do something different. I do agree with people who say that that is short-term thinking and not necessarily good for the long-term health of the game. But also, Wizards of the Coast is a dynamic organization. They will push the boundary to where it gets pushed to. And then when it gets pushed back on them in a meaningful monetary way, they will recoil or adapt accordingly. And those things are just going to play themselves out. Your job, my job as a consumer is to buy the things that are interesting and that I can keep up with and that I like and to either ignore or whatever the stuff that's not. And so, you know, when the, when the 27th secret layer comes out, I couldn't care less. I do not care. I've never Mm -hmm. really cared about those. The first few were kind of interesting. And then I kind of realized what the business model was. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not here for these. And I've never actually purchased one. Mm -hmm. So that's my vote. And you know, me going online and saying whether I like them or not, I don't really think moves the needle for really any individual person nor for wizards. So I don't bother. But I think my vote is much louder by just saying, look, I'm a core audience magic player and I have no interest in this product that you're putting out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. take that for what it is. It's, you know, there's going to be more of me and there's going to be a lot of people who disagree and, and buy those. So, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like that is just a natural market thing that gets to play itself out. And, you know, I, I'm going to vote with my wallet. Yeah. Although I, I would 
say that at this point you're enough of a strong voice enough you have enough of a platform with lr and otherwise that if you actually went out and said something tomorrow like i support this or i don't support that i'll I'll bet you a dollar that you know wizards would look at that and that might play some impact however small on their decision making right like if you and luis both came out and said uh i don't know like i i like this new booster format or i don't like that that has that has an impact right definitely and what i try to do is save those opinions for things like this or for the podcast rather than on social media um we have talked i mean well last episode because it's lost uh, hot takes style Mm -hmm. it's more yes of actual dialogue yes and and i can explain myself better and i think that people can understand by based on my inflection how I feel about it, whether I'm angry about it, whether I'm not, whether I don't really care, whether I'm just sort of throwing an opinion out to throw it out or whether I really have a strong stance here. Um, And when those things do come up on the podcast, which they have, then I will say how I feel. But mainly, I try to concern myself more with how I should act, how you should act as an individual. I understand that there's like people who would, like to think that their words on social media could influence what Wizards of the Coast does. And there might be a few people that might move the needle slightly. But mostly these decisions are made months ahead of time behind closed doors with budgets from people who aren't in tune with the magic community necessarily. So I feel that that impact is very low. The impact of I don't play magic anymore. I've cut down my buying. I don't buy this product is much higher to me than whatever you want to write, you know, on social media. And so I prefer, you know, when we talk about it on the podcast to try to put myself in the shoes of an individual and say, well, how should you act? The things you believe may be true around you. It may be that wizards is evil. It may be that they're trying to get every cent out of you. It may be that they've sold out to the you know, the the market overlords and all they're trying to do is maximize their profit on a quarter by quarter basis at the cost of anything. I've seen all those claims made on social media. And so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but how are you gonna actually act is what's much more important to me because you, you can lose your mind, you know, trying to um, understand these really big complex systems like companies, governments, societies, that type of thing. But the only thing that you can really control is what you do. And my recommendation is always to vote with your wallet or your legs. Like, leave. or Vote with your actions, really. Right. Not words. Like, I just think that people far overrate their opinion and their words on social media. I just I think that that's a general thing that I've seen since social media has come to uh, you know, become such a prominent part of our dialogue and our culture. I'm not saying that it doesn't matter at all. It definitely does have an influence on some level, particularly on mass. But again, you could be 100% right about all these doomsday things about wizards, but what are you going to do? Like, mm-hmm. Are you still going to play? Are you going to leave the game? Are you going to continue to spend money? In what forum are you? Are you spending it online? Are you buying booster packs? Are you, you know, you don't like that they sell on Amazon. Are you buying from Amazon? It's cheaper. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you going to actually do? Right. And those actions are what to me actually, you know, do it. And also, you know, just from a personal perspective, like as an individual, you have to do things that 
that work for you that actually improve your lot in life even if you know right even if you think wizards is evil or whatever yeah yeah um i think which, there's which like i don't for what it's worth yeah i mean i th i think they're they're there's this there's this extremely on nuanced uh non-nuanced idea that like things are in extremes and i think it's just it's just very problematic like uh, like it they're is. either they're either saints or they're yes. the spawn of satan and it's just not right it's just not how reality works well, and right? that comes up in the magic community and in broader communities on social media all the time right the there's this that that people get put into buckets and they can be in one bucket and move to the other. They usually can't move from one back to the other. They kind mm -hmm. of get forgotten about or shunned or something, but like that does not seem sustainable to me either. Um, yeah, I just, I, I look at the track record of human behavior, uh, both personally and with everybody I've ever met. <laughs> and it's just like, it's kind of messy as it turns out. And mm -hmm. uh, that, that nuance that you referenced is something that can come in really handy, you know, for that. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a very uh, enlightening moment for me um, just a while back because I just interviewed uh, Sam Black. We had a conversation mm -hmm. and I asked him a question. You know, it's gone to the point where with this show, sometimes I'll just ask questions where I feel like they're so they're overly simplistic, but I feel mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe that's something that somebody would care about. So I asked them a question that's kind of a, honestly, kind of a softball question. I asked like, what's, what do you think is gonna happen to magic? What do you think mm -hmm. is gonna happen to magic and your relationship to magic in the, in, the, in the coming years, right? And this is after he already talked to me about like optionality and building a life and career around just uh, not being all in on one thing. Mm -hmm. And he just told me like, what what happened to magic like magic's always going to be the same like it's going to be uh i magic's not changed in the last 20 30 years it's not going to change for the next little while like what are you talking about like there's no like like there's no skies falling james there's no basically implying like there's no there's no crazy thing that's going to happen i'm not going to suddenly become uh stop playing magic or stop drafting or stop having a magic podcast like it's just it's just not a thing like like these things that happen in the short term are just kind of little blips and yeah. uh i mean that, that, this is this, really is, this is my takeaway he answered it much more simply but it's just mm -hmm. that's what was going through my mind yeah and, and that's that's spoken by somebody who's been there for a while oh yeah right you know you, you know to to make like a corollary would be if you're if you're investing and you know you're in the u.s and you invest in the stock market you know you've got mutual funds or you've got this that or the other thing and you can tell who's been there right through the crashes and who sees things from the big picture perspective versus the people who are trying to anticipate ride every wave. Oh my God, it's all falling. Oh my God, it's the best thing ever. And the people who have been around are just sort of sitting back with their hand in their laps, just like this is how it goes. You know, it generally trends upwards, but on any given section of time, it like anything can happen, you know, but if you're not used to that, if you haven't been through two crashes or three crashes in your lifetime, and recognize that the train kind of keeps trucking along, you know, th th those are the words you have when you have been through a few of the major ups and downs and recognize that it's still here. I mean, the thing I always say with regards to magic is like literally Wizards of the Coast could disappear tomorrow and I don't believe that magic would stop, mm -hmm. which is bizarre because you'd think that would just be the end of it. 
You but mean someone would just make new cards? or I mean, I don't even think you need new cards. Like, I just think that the community could probably roll for 10 or 15 years with no new cards. But yeah, I do believe that somebody would eventually find a way to incorporate new designs in a, in a mass scale to get out to people that were sort of a common ground. But I mean, I don't know. The best stuff about Magic wasn't even made by Wizards, right? Like, the cards, I, the cards at this point, yeah, there's some special ones that come out, but I mean, they're all just really complicated puzzle, like jigsaw puzzles or whatever, right? Where you're like, okay, take this, for, you know, every card that comes out basically is an amalgamation of things that existed before, right? Yeah, it's like, an amalgamation or a derivative of something right. from before. It's not like there's just like this novel, right? Even a new mechanic is almost never novel. It's it's usually a twist on an, on something that you already know. I mean, how many versions of Kicker have there been, right? Like pay <laughs> pay extra, get more, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't, you know, maybe you have to pay it later, or maybe it's from the graveyard, or maybe it's just when you cast it, it's, or maybe it's, like it's that on meme, the everything's Kicker, right? Right, yeah. and it's like that's true. It doesn't make it less interesting necessarily, but I'm just saying, like, you know. We could keep doing that for a very long time as a community. And as long as somebody's in the middle that can create new things that are sort of keeping an eye on all the moving parts, which is what Wizards, you know, ostensibly what their role is at this point. I mean, I think the game could go for a number of years with literally no new cards. Like the card pool's just so, I mean, perfect example would be Cube, right? Cube is arguably the best way to play Magic. And it's made entirely of cards that have existed before. You, you, you know, you could make endless iterations of cube with no new cards forever. That's just one example. Another one would be like pre-modern or what? What did they call that stupid format? The old school, <laughs> right? Like these yeah. formats yeah. just weren't a thing, and then all of a sudden they were, and they had like some amount of a community around them. Mm -hmm. right and like these are all from cards that have existed f between 10 and 30 years ago you know it's like like and, and that could sustain a community for a decade right like mm -hmm. there's a mm -hmm. lot of space you know out there so i don't know for me i i never even think about that kind of stuff i do i do believe that what wizards of the coast does uh affects the community affects the game i think that they can definitely have a negative effect on things i think generally they have a positive effect but i mean they they are not without flaws, you know, obviously. Yeah. And even for drafting, Lord knows, like physical drafting, there's enough sealed product out there in the world to probably last 10, 15 years if people actually totally. open them instead of hoarding them for <laughs> sealed totally. boxes or whatever. Totally. I guess they would get more expensive because <laughs> people would want to actually draft them and you couldn't just go buy, you know, retail boosters or whatever they're called, play boosters now. But uh, yeah, yeah. that would be a fun uh, science fiction story. Like what if magic stopped and then the day magic stopped and uh you know people would have to then actually uh get creative around how to play magic yeah. or how to draft yeah. right or maybe like re repack cards or just just start totally. cubing all the time it's super that's easy doable. it's super yeah. easy like people would totally do it i would do it i i yeah i i just you know the the play boosters is a good example just to use one from recent right is like because the first stuff i saw about it was you know basically they ruined draft and I'm like, sky's okay. falling stuff, right? Right. Yeah. And it's like, I read up on it and it's like, uh, it's a little bit of a tweak and there's maybe something that we might need to adjust to, but it's just not even remotely close. Like it might be better, you know, like it's, it's that close of a margin where it's just like, 
And, and again, I, you know, so, so for me, I'm just, I don't listen to any of that stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talking about non-nuance. I mean, I think people went from, they killed draft to, wow, I can get four rares in the pack. Yeah, really? exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty quick turnaround on that one. They should probably go buy yeah. the lottery as a ticket as well. Yeah, um, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but um, I mean, is it's interesting something you said, which is that magic is not, I mean, obviously magic is not going to have a revolutionary thing, uh, you know, in terms of design, things like that. I think, I think, I think it was Richard Garfield that just created draft in the first place, right? Yeah, I think that they were doing uh, a rudimentary form of draft all the way back, like in right. the original playtest. Yeah, it wasn't part of what the set was designed for, like Alpha and Beta. Um, Mirage was the first set that actually had it in mind while designing the set. So it took them a few years, but it did exist. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it's interesting because I'm thinking about what you said about how um, – you know, people figure out their own formats like pre-modern and old school, which uh, I also think is not a very smart format. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, nostalgic factor, I guess. Uh, Huge. But did people have people try to do? I know there's been like Rochester draft and like <laughs> money draft. Those are just things that people did for like higher stakes money, money draft. Yeah. Uh, have there been? Have people come up with like grassroots ways to reinvent drafting? Is that yeah. something that's ever been? They have, but nothing's ever caught on on the broad strokes the two that come to mind are recently people um actually to do vintage cube have started doing four packs of 12 rather than three packs of 15 what's so you the get, logic behind that you get more first picks that way and you get a few more cards into the pool so i don't know it's 48 versus 45 cards and you get to sort of re-up a little bit quicker might get you a few more chances at some um synergistic cards uh, they've been doing that on the money draft servers that Luis does his videos on, on his channel. Um, kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't, I, I haven't tried it myself, so I'm not really sure, but you mentioned Ryan Spain earlier, who I started the podcast with, uh, way back in the day. And, you know, he's a game designer. He actually works at daybreak games now who manages magic online. And he, he's the creative director for magic online now. And he, before he actually got hired at wizards and during, he worked out a number of formats that were limited formats for two players. Um, he has three or four different versions that are really, really good um, that allow you to play a relatively quick match of magic against one other person, but it's limited. It requires some amount of uh, drafting-ish selection that happens beforehand, and then you just play out the game or the match, and then it's over. And so he was hoping for something that, like, you got a pile of cards this big. Doesn't really matter what's in them. Doesn't you don't have to curate it super specific. It's it could just be the random packs that you and your friend got at the game store drafting, and you just happen to have all your commons and stuff left over, and you shuffle them all together, and you're waiting for the bus to come pick you up, or you're you know at the airport or whatever, and you can just play this and not have to you know do have eight people because you know the the hardest thing about booster draft in real life is getting eight people together i mean period it's the it's gathering just, right yeah the gathering yeah. it's the best part it's also the hardest draft works really well with six as well so you can get away with that but below six is not really a thing four isn't enough so he wanted to do a, have a way to do that so there are little pockets like that um but you know playing draft one-on-one -on -one isn't that popular or isn't really like such a big thing so um but i mean i i think if people were forced to i mean it, 
there's really no incentive, right? Because like, if you want to draft, like you can jump onto arena and be in a draft like now, right? Like you can do a mm-hmm. quick draft against a computer, which I wouldn't recommend, but you could if you like, if you had it on your phone and you were in line at the DMV and you, you knew you were going to get interrupted, then you could just jump onto that. But failing that, if if you're just you know, I don't know, waiting for lunch or whatever, you can just jump in a, a league on, on arena and you can mm-hmm. be in a draft within a minute and be done drafting in 10 or 12 minutes and then just play one game at a time. It's like the incentives aren't really there, you know, for people to innovate right now. Mm-hmm. Are we you got the goods at our fingertips. For sure. Especially after now that things are a little bit more normal in the world post-COVID, right? Uh, are you just doing more in-person drafts? Are you still doing like a online drafts online as well? Only. I, oh, you're I don't doing online know. only. Yeah, it's I've never we used to have a draft group but it it hasn't come back together. And I don't know, going to the store, man, I just feel like I can I really like drafting online and I just feel like I can draft so much. It just feels so like brutally inefficient now mm-hmm. to get together in real. I mean, it takes forever. You spend a lot of time sitting around. You spend a lot of time sleeving and shuffling and doing all these chores and you know a multiple year stretch of not having any of that really just made it so that like my patience for it's a lot lower i would do it if like my draft group was getting together you know and i could make the time i would do that but like the idea of going to like an fnm these days doesn't appeal to me like i'd rather do four drafts at home you know i just i love do i love drafting you know Oh, I would just assume because you're in Seattle and you know folks uh, used to. Ac- around Seattle, like maybe you just go to someone's home to draft. I'm not like LGS for me is also kind of, I don't want to say scary, but it, it's very inefficient and you don't know what you're going to get. And it's like a box of chocolates and it, it might not be very fun. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, that used to happen. I mean, randomly, I got invited to a draft tonight. I can't make it uh, by some of the old school guys out here. Um, so that still exists, but man, it's rare. It's just not. It's not like it used to be before the pandemic. I think everybody just got used to playing online. I know I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to. I have to make an admission here. Like, uh, I think when we last talked, I had not done anything but Magic Arena. Mm-hmm. But in 2020, when COVID hit, I got seriously into Magic Online. I've, oh yeah, I learned it. I played. Uh, admittedly, mostly constructed, but I played. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it, I, I. I had a spreadsheet at one point, and it was it was really degenerate. It was like. It was like back in my poker days when I first learned about poker stars in full tilt and I was just grinding uh-huh. and it was like, I don't know, a few thousand matches that year. I, wow. I, I want to say you were putting and in it time. was, it was like, I really learned like, but I, what also I realized like, man, I didn't know how to play magic before that. Like mm. I, I played magic for like 10 years, but, or even in tournaments, but I realized I was kind of like dead money to use a, totally. a term like that like totally. man i had no idea how the stack really worked i had no idea how magic yes. really worked and i i think i leveled up more playing like three months of magic uh magic online than i did in like 10 years of playing constructed and i was just like oh my gosh i totally should have done this earlier especially yes. being uh a much more of a try hard competitive spike like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and it's just and uh so I, I totally understand what you're saying like now when i go to uh, play in a a weekly event or like uh, what do you call these qualifiers they have now like PTQs or RCQs like it, it just feels so time consuming like, yes. I have to like sit there between rounds I yes. have to actually like 
wait like right. what's going on here yeah like you're, when you're not used to it it's very very difficult and yeah I've, you know i'm an unabashed fan of magic online i know it's too. not pretty and i know it has a learning curve it's, to it's it it's real magic just but just it, to, it it's is real very yeah. real like it, it mimics enough of very real magic i mean whenever the vintage cube is up i play it I'll drop anything. Mm -hmm. They they just Mm -hmm. took it off two days ago and I'm just like recovering still because I played it. (laughs) (laughs) I've just had a cold for the past week and I was just like sitting here like ordering food and playing Vintage Cube every day. Like, you know, not the worst time to get a cold, I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I can't remember the last time I opened Arena, honestly. Like, it's just just Magic Online. Like, if I ever want to do magic and it's just like i have to go to the store like yeah it's just i have to commute like why don't i just fired it up yeah 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 (laughs) um but you know having said all this stuff uh are you feeling good or bad about the frequency of magic releases as it pertains to content like i guess on the one hand it's good that there's a lot of stuff to cover but on the other hand it feels like you have top you have stuff to cover every week even if there isn't a new release, right? Yeah. So how do you feel about it? Yeah, it's it's what you said. I mean, it's better for us. Like we've got another set coming out before the end of the year. So we're going to be doing another set review and, and firing up the whole cycle again. And I really like that because limited especially is very much beholden to the new cycle of a set comes out and our viewership and stuff follows it. You know, it's, it's when the set reviews are most views and then it kind of, stays good and then it kind of trails down and we'll do our more like fun shows or our more like offbeat shows with TBS or bring Sirkovitz on or do our Q and A's. And the reason that we do those during those times is because, you know, people are kind of over the limited format by then. And we want to give them something interesting to listen to because they just don't want it. Like people right now, they don't want to hear anything about wilds of Eldraine. Like they're, <laughs> unless we have something kind of blockbustery, they're just like, we don't want to hear you deep dive some random archetype. Like we know the format it's been out. We know what this is. Um, so in that way, it's really good. I definitely feel the fatigue that people have referenced though with, it feels like a lot, like I can't keep up, you know, I, I don't even try anymore. I just sort of wait for somebody to tell me, Hey, there's going to be another set. And I'm like, Oh wow. You know, it, but that's in the context of me only really caring about the sets that make it to draft on arena, basically. And there's all these other things that come out that I just don't even follow, you mm-hmm. know, because it's not really yeah. aimed at me. So I feel a little bit two-sided about it. On one hand, increasing that news cycle is more interesting for my job with limited resources and it's more content to make and stuff. So that's a positive. But uh, on the other hand, I don't think it's sustainable. It is exhausting. It It is exhausting for me. Like the thought of like in a couple of weeks, we have to do another set review. I mean, those things are four or five hours long. They're really tough. They're, you know, you read the first card on the first day of the set review and it's like, oh my God, you know, like <laughs> we have to go through so many more. Deja vu, huh? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like that's also the most exciting time for a limited magic player. Cause you know, that's when we get access to the full set. And we're really starting to see like, well, what are we dealing with here? Um, you know, as far as what the set's going to be and getting excited about it. So it's more of a good thing. And it's also just a lot more work and a lot more headspace taken up by magic, which at this point I think isn't good. I think there was a time when I would have said that more headspace being taken up by magic is cool and good, but I think they've eaten through that. And now it's, it's in the, like, this is too much territory mm. for most people, including me. Mm. 
So you've talked about sustainability in the past as a content creator. How do how do you make all that sustainable with the rapid fire releases and having to do set reviews every god like every I don't I don't even I, is it every two weeks or every three weeks? No, like, how it's do you not make all? That, not that <laughs> it, it'll, it'll probably get there. I'm not. It, you know. it used to be four a year, and now it's like five or sometimes six. You know, depending okay. on how the release. Well, how do you, how do you make that sustainable for yourself? I mean, I haven't changed anything. I just look at the thing and say, all right, we're doing a set review. We'll see if it, if I can keep doing it. I mean, I have done it this far, so I figure it'll just go, but I don't, I don't do anything, you know, big picture. I've had to do things to make the podcast sustainable, but the set reviews and the increase in product and stuff hasn't changed that. It's the, the strategies that I put into place to make it sustainable have withheld that storm, I guess. So you're not going to hire an intern to just uh, mm-hmm. like no. do the set reviews for you and read out the cards or at least nope. that part? AI, AI it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. AI Marshall. Yeah, man. When does he get here? Uh, no, no. It's, you know, for me, it's really just about hitting the sweet spot. I'm a firm believer in putting in the work ahead of time so that, you know, when you're going to do something like a podcast or the videos for the watch channel and stuff like that, I'm a big, like, put a lot of effort into the process and be realistic about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do to get things to a quality level that, that meet your goals that you can repeat over and over again, because I've just seen it a thousand times with other people. And even with myself, where if I get, if that gets out of whack, I can't, I won't keep, keep it up. You know, Mm -hmm. I won't keep it up long-term. I know exactly the type of stuff that I will do and I know what I won't, you know? So, you know, for example, editing the podcast and stuff, you know, I've got it really streamlined. I mean, I do it the same way every time, you know, I, and, and I know that if I tried to up that bar to get a little bit of those diminishing returns on quality back, it wouldn't be worth it because I would burn out. I wouldn't want to do Mm. it anymore. And the way Mm. that I do it now, it's just work. I just sit down, I, I get through it takes me a little while and then I'm done, but it doesn't require much thought for me at this point, meaning I can like put on a movie or a podcast or whatever, and then, and then start to do the work. And it just sort of happens, you know, out of my brain, my hands just knows where to go and everything just happens. But if I have to sit there and like, go, Hmm, should I cut this part of the show? Or what do I think about this? That's not like that editing can't happen for the podcast. We need to be good enough at talking so that we don't have to do edits like that. Yeah. That's definitely something I found too, is like the best way is just to make the original decent enough that you don't have to go and post and just do a whole bunch of yeah. reworking it because I'm, I'm that's sure just, you found that a lot with guests because you know, for me, you know, I, I get to focus that basically all on who's my co-host, mm. but you have a new co-host every episode in, in a way, right? The person who's mm-hmm. on the other end and, I'm sure that you've picked up on, hey, some people flow with it and there's not a lot of dead air and there's not a lot of awkward pauses and weird stuff that it just sort of conversationally works. And then some people, that's not the case. You know, for me with with LR, I had to find somebody who was a 10 out of 10 on that, right? Where I just knew every week I could show up. They had something to say. They knew when I was prompting them, they could pick up the slack if, if I wasn't as up to speed on something, you know, and I mean, Luis is a, he's 11 out of 10, you know, he's, he's the best. Yeah. 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 That's probably why he's, uh, also the longest tenured, uh, LR co-host, if I understand. Correctly. He's, he's the longest by over double. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's got well over double anybody else's time in the seat. Yeah. Right. So I mean, the two of you don't really have to do a lot of like post editing and things like that. No, like, we don't just, have to do it's much. It's good on prep. one take. Yeah. And yeah. Oh yeah. We, we, we never take anything out unless like, like, I don't know, if his kid needed something and he had to just leave the show for 10 minutes, we're not going to leave 10 minutes a day. Sure. In, right. Yeah. But like, that's, but that's man, an easy cut. That's yeah. an easy cut. Right. But we don't edit for content. You know, I just, mm -hmm. we, we just put everything up because it's so conversational with him and I, and it also means our prep work is minimal. Like we don't have to mm -hmm. sit there and map out every single little idea of what we're going to do. We just go, okay, what do we want to talk about? And then if there's stuff that we need to reference, like specific card wise for like an archetype, then we'll, we'll get the skeleton of that in the show notes. But right. I mean, if we're going to talk about stuff like you and I do, where it's like, Hey, what do we think about the new blank? Or, you know, let's, let's talk about wizards or something like that. Like it could be three bullet points. Mm -hmm. Talk about wizards. And that's half an hour, you know, where, mm -hmm. cause I'll riff off of him. You know, I'm like you, I like interviewing people. Right. And I mm -hmm. like to have conversations and stuff so I can pick up off where he's going. I have my own stuff to add. I can take us in a direction and I lean on that skill set for me and his ability to, to talk, you know. And so it does mean that for both of us, you know, we minimize the annoying time, right? The mm -hmm. time that's spent just writing out Small. in a Google Doc or whatever. And yeah. It's just like, oh, I don't want to be doing this, you know. Um, and we maximize the time that we're actually just recording and let it fly. And I mean, of course it means that like, we're not hitting 100% of what we could be doing. We both know that we both know that we could say, let's have an hour meeting every week where we grind out every detail of what we want to do on the podcast, rehearse a little bit, and then actually do it. And the show would be a bit better, but also we recognize that we would stop doing it at some point because you get burned <laughs> out. Like, the trade-offs, yeah. The trade-offs, right? You know, where it's interesting because for me, doing the watch channel videos, I purposely set the bar really, really high for those. Higher than, I'm pretty deep into diminishing returns. I'm not just hitting that like, this is really good, like which is like where I want LR to be. I I said, no, I need these to be like excellent. Like the, the mm -hmm. quality of these videos, and it is a lot harder. Like it sucks, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I will do a rough cut of the video, go through the whole entire thing to do a, a final cut. Then I'll do the voiceover. I'll put in all the graphics, anything I want to put in. I'll hit export. Then I'll watch it. And I'll take notes on anything that I think I need to change, even if it's small. Then I'll make the go changes. Go back to the drawing board. Export yeah. it. And then I'll watch it. And these videos are like pushing an hour. And, you know, people like you and I know, James, that like listening to yourself talk for an hour is just excruciating, right? Like it just, you're like, I already know everything I'm yeah. going to say. I never think, oh man, you kind of nailed that. You know, I only yeah. think like that sounded stupid. Why did you say it this way? Oh, you messed yeah. up, you know? And, yeah. and, and I've already, and by the way, I said it. And then I watch an export of the video where I listen to 45 minutes of myself talking. And then I change two tiny things and mm -hmm. I watch the whole stupid thing again. And I'm mm -hmm. just praying that I don't have to change anything again. But that's the, you know, that's the level of quality that I wanted for those videos. So it's different, you know, mm -hmm. and, but I've been able to keep up that quality on there. So it's just a, you know, it's kind of where, where do you want to land on that scale? You have to decide that ahead of time. Oh, totally. I mean, that is actually the life of a YouTuber. I mean, 
I I hope you're not taking this uh, in the wrong way, but like when we do LR or Humans of Magic, it's a podcast that happens to have a video yeah. component. So it is yes. a lot of just you can kind of shoot the shit, you can record an intro or whatever, you can put it up. I can do it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually in YouTube mode, you actually have to monologue. You actually have to figure out like how do I hook the viewer in in the first 10 seconds? How do I like have the right background music? How do I make the right cuts, transitions, the whole nine yards? Like that is an order of magnitude harder. Like it's it, not it just is. putting like a video podcast uh, no. on a channel. Exactly. Not I at agree all. with you 100%. Yeah. The, you know, the, the video version of the show, I, I put in some graphics at the beginning and the end. I have, uh, we have a video producer, Jeff, who does the live stream for us just that we stream to our patrons and he'll just send me the raw video file and I'll just edit it. But I mean, I'm not really doing much with it. It takes me 10 minutes or something to make yeah, the video. You got it version. down to a science or yeah, a process. Super yeah. quick. And I just spit it out. It's exactly how you described it. But if you, you look at one of the edits that I do on the wristwatch revival videos, and I mean, there's, <laughs> it's, I, I literally edit to the frame. You know, yes. like I will go one frame back and be like, no, that's too much and cut that. I mean, it's because I'm asking a lot of my audience in that way because it's like a 45 minute, 50 minute video. Right. right. And that's, that's a big ask on YouTube. I mean, what's the most popular thing? Shorts, right? They're like under mm -hmm. a minute and I'm putting out something that's pushing an hour and saying, no, really, you got, you got to watch this. I swear it might be interesting or whatever. And that's a very, very, very tough sell. So what I'm always looking for when I edit are, I can't, I, I usually, the term I use in my head is if it's dragging, I don't know mm -hmm. if there's like an industry term for it, but basically where like I'm watching and I'm going, come on, dude, like we get it, you know, it, it, it's like, dragging on, okay. yeah. you know, just, and even just for one second, like if I'm showing myself work on a part and it's like. I know you're going to pick that up and put it down. Like I'll just cut out the middle part, you know, cause like I, right. I want to be completionist in the sense that I want to show everything that's actually happening. It's like happening. the shuffling part of magic. Like I don't, we don't need that part. Right. You know, exactly. Like, and, and even if it's an important thing, you see this all the time on like cooking videos, right? They start to chop up an onion and you watch yeah. them make three cuts and you're like, okay, I get it. You're going to chop up the onion. And if I have to sit there and watch you go chop, 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 chop yeah. to get all the way through the onion. Like I probably am already on another video. Like right. I'm like, once I get the concept of what you're doing, I don't need to see you do all the rest yeah. of it. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you mentioned Casey Neistat before and he was so ahead of the curve on that because he actually would cut himself off of speaking in his videos because it was obvious where the sentence was going. And he's just like, I don't want to waste your time making you listen to me finish this sentence because you already know what I'm going to say anyway. Yeah. And I remember the first time I saw that, I thought, wait, this guy's supposed to be some great editor. And he just cut himself off, you know, before he was done with his sentence. Like, that's pretty sloppy. And then I noticed him do it over and over. And I'm like, oh, it's all, I always know what There's he's going to say. To the madness. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, that guy is a G like that is so smart. And I'm always, again, I've said this earlier. I'm always trying to be as respectful of my viewer and my listeners time as I can in that way. And so that's my way of doing that is when I watch it back, if I'm like, Hey dude, you know, perfect example. Many times on a watch movement, a part will be held on by like three or four screws. And I will show myself, take off, unscrew one of them and move that screw onto the 
onto my table. One, I will not show all four ever because you get the point, right? Yep. Like you don't yep. need to see me do <laughs> the repeat, other repeat, thing. Right. rinse, repeat. Because yeah. because every time I did that, I'm like, this is draggy. Like I'm bored. Like what's going on? What's the next step? You know, and that's also why I use three cameras because I always want it to be like refreshing visually for you because I am asking you to go on a pretty long journey with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh man, so much I want to ask here, but let's just start with the most. <laughs> go back to the most basic one. Like, how did you even come up with this channel, Wristwatch Revival? Like, what what's the origin story? Yeah, the short version is, I uh, collected watches. I had started collecting them. And I used to work on cars with my dad and I live in family of mechanics. Is that remember? That's right. And I live in the city now and I don't have, and my dad passed away and I don't have a garage. And so it's like working on cars isn't really on the table for me anymore, but I missed it. And I kind of put it together in my head. I found a guy on YouTube named Mark Lovick. He had a channel called the watch repair channel where he did like tutorials. He was a watch repair by trade. And I was like, oh, I'm like, I wonder if I could buy broken ones off eBay for cheap. And then if I could learn how to fix them, I could get the some watches that maybe I couldn't afford uh, normally. And I could repair them myself because I figured since nobody really knows how to do it, you know, people, I could probably get a pretty good deal. And then, um, and then it also gets me that hands-on thing that I had craved that I missed about working on cars because at that time I'm making like YouTube videos for magic stuff and I'm doing podcasts and I'm just always working on computers and I, I didn't really make stuff with my hands. And so I decided to pursue it from that. And one of the things that they tell you when you first start working on watches is to take photos of it as you take it apart. And that way you can remember how the parts go back together. And so I'm, I was sitting here at my desk and I'm like, well, I got this like nice camera, like I got tripods, I've got lights. So why don't I just point the camera the video camera at the watch when I take it apart, because that's better than photos, right? I can just rewind to wherever I'm at and basically just reverse engineer it when I want to put the watch back together. And I did that, but then I looked and I'm like, man, this video looks all right. You know, like this is actually okay quality. Mm. And then my brain started moving and I was like, I could get another camera. I actually have another camera already. And I had learned how to do multi-camera setups from um, MTG Breakdown when I was doing these these uh, rewind videos where I sat with a Magic Pro and went over one of their famous matches from their career. But there was a camera on me and the Pro, but also the footage going at the same time. And I had to teach myself how to do that in the video editor to like line it all up and do all that stuff. And so I knew how to do it. And I was like, yeah, this could be kind of cool. And so I just did like a test one and it looked really good. And I was like, okay. And so then it was over. Like, you know how it is when you get an idea, you know, a new content idea. Seeds of an idea. Oh, it's so good. It's my favorite part of the whole thing. And next thing you know, I'm ordering lights and another camera. And, but of course I needed to really teach myself how to work on watches before I could do it. So I took a good chunk of time. Um, I took a couple of classes online from that same guy, the Mark Lovick from that channel. Um, he had put together a like a sort of a short training course, and I took that. And then I just started practicing myself. And then when I had a little bit of confidence that I might be able to actually figure some of this stuff out, I started making the videos for it. But I mean, it was just, you know, it's like everything good. It was just for fun. It was just a side project. It was because I wanted to do it. How did you grow the channel? I mean, I, I'm really curious about this, like, cause now you're, now you're, now you're in full YouTuber mode. Like you're, you're trying to figure out how to 
create compelling videos and how, how, how does that process go? Um, I, my, my process is really simple. My process is to put every single shred of effort I can possibly muster into the product itself, the content. So no marketing, no push, almost no effort put into hooking people, thumbnails, titles. I want to just try to simply make the most compelling, best video that I can. And I believe that the current setup that we have around algorithms and things like that, if it's there, we'll pick it up. So I had no, no plan on, I put almost no effort into popularizing the videos. Mm-hmm. I put effectively every shred of effort I had into making the videos themselves what I wanted them to be. I mean, think about it. When when the channel came out, it was basically 2020. Technically, the first video went up at the very end of 2019, but then it was a few months before I put up another. And it was like, at that point, everybody, the, the predominant thinking on YouTube was that video should be nine to 10 minutes long. Like anything beyond that, people wouldn't watch. And anything shorter than that, you couldn't really like put ads on effectively. So everybody was making these videos and mine were 45 minutes. And the reason for that was because I didn't care. I wasn't trying to appease people or an algorithm or anything. I knew what I wanted to make, which is I wanted to tell the full story of this watch. I get the watch, explain something about it, take it apart, figure out what's wrong, fix it, put it back together. Ta-da, it's a finished product, right? And that for me, took 35 to 55 minutes to tell that story. They just did. Like, there's a lot of moving parts there, and I didn't want to break them up into part one, part two, part three. I hate that. I wanted to put it all out as almost like a TV show, you know, like Mm -hmm. if you'd tune in for an hour-long show or whatever. That's what my goal was. And so I said, I don't care. I don't give a crap if nobody, like, if, if it doesn't get picked up by the algorithm. The people that find it, if they like this type of thing, and if if I'm doing a good job, then they'll like it. And so that's what I did. You know, and I, that, that's how irreverent I was of trying to make it work from a reverse engineering perspective. It was all about, and it still is, by the way, all about making the best video that I possibly can put out. Again, letting the work speak for itself. Right. That's yeah. my whole thing. I mean, you can watch my video. Like every video I've ever done on Wristwatch Revival, I have never uttered the words, hit the subscribe button. Mm-hmm. I have never asked anybody to do any. I've done no call to actions except for a Patreon. That's yeah. it. It's just deliver value, deliver information to the viewer. Like yes. this is how I'm restoring yes. this watch. You click this because it says it's for this watch. Yes. You're going to get this. You're going to get yes. probably the deepest deep dive on this. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to spend some time with you. People watch the videos for various reasons. As I found out now, um, that were unbeknownst to me, but many people watch them to relax. Many people. More... I was going to say that was probably the main reason, right? Is, is to relax. Yeah. I mean, I just thought they would be entertaining. I don't know. I sort of in a more general sense, you know, I just, I found it fascinating. And part of my ethos as a content creator is if I find it fascinating and I can translate something complicated like magic mm-hmm. or, a watch movement 
to something that normal people could see and that aren't as into it as I am and appreciate, then, then I can be an important conduit for people finding fascination in things in this world, which is like, what else is there? Mm -hmm. And so for me, if I can bridge that from one to the other, then I've, you know, already that, that to me already is meeting the goal of it being entertaining or interesting. But as it turns out, it's, there's sort of like chunks within that sphere. A lot of people with anxiety watch, they say it calms them down because it gives them something to focus on. And they said that my voice relaxes them. And they say, I know that I've gotten so like way more comments than I could ever think of people saying this actually helps me with this because it's one of the only things I've found that actually takes me out of my head spinning intrusive mm. thought cycle because mm. there's something interesting happening because I talk the whole time. So they're, they have something to kind of hang on to, you mm -hmm. know, the whole time. And then other people use it to go to sleep, <laughs> which I was, yeah, I was, was going to say, maybe there's like an ASMR style. <laughs> people effect. talk about that too. So, you know, and then of course, I mean, I, I assume most people just find it interesting in a kind of a general sense or whatever, but, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I don't really care why, you know, I, I know why I think it's interesting, but I mean, I, you know, people can take from it, whatever, whatever they find, you know, mm. Oh, man, I have so many questions, but I'll, I'll try to stick to a, uh, a few of the key ones, which is like, um, so you never really started out thinking like, how do I game YouTube? Like, how do never. I, how do I get a channel with a million subs nope. or how do I, how do I like technique this? It's just simply something you enjoyed. Yep. And, and I guess now though, it has become like, you are one of the authority channels in this domain, if I can just judge it by the growth or the traction or the viewership, like, but that's not something that you set out to be, but maybe just post after the fact, it turns out that you became kind of like the 1% or like the, the, the domain expert in this mm -hmm. uh, field. So it, to me, it speaks about how the narrowest of narrow topics can still find a huge audience. Yes. If I mean, you're the best at it, if you're world-class at, yep. which I think your channel is at Thank delivering you. the goods. That's it. That, I agree with that a hundred percent. It doesn't, I think I got a little lucky here because I kind of figured that the channel would appeal to people who were into watches and that's a decent size space on YouTube, but you know, think like magic size or a little bigger than that maybe, but you know, enough so that you can, make a career or a, you can plant your flag. And if you're one of the better ones, you can monetize it in enough of a way so that it's like a legitimate place to put your time as an adult, right? You can build it and, and do that type of thing. But what happened to mine was it was kind of humming along doing fine. And then like after five or six months, it kind of found an audience that was a bump up that was bigger. And that I assume was the watch space. And at that point, it was like already getting pretty close to worth it to put the amount of time and effort that I had been putting in, but it, I was still kind of working towards that goal. But then about six months after that, it did the same thing again, except for it expanded more. And I think it just sort of hit an audience of like people who like restorations. It's a big space on YouTube, oh, much, yeah. much bigger than the watch space. And I think it bit enough of that hit enough of those chords. And again, my idea of speaking to the viewer as an individual person who 
doesn't know as much about this thing as I do, but might be interested in it, I think brings in. I get a lot of comments from people R- saying, "I don't even own a watch." Or, yeah, they're like, yeah. "I don't even own a. I don't even care about watches. I just like watching you do this, right?" So mm-hmm. that makes it a little more open. And that size of space, whatever that is, it, it's way more than enough. You know, I mean, now mm-hmm. the the watch channel is easily my biggest thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's five times bigger than LR. Like, it's mm-hmm. not even close. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, and and in the grand scheme of YouTube, it's, it's not even huge channel, you know, it's like, I mean, there's people with 5 million, you know, whatever viewer you know, subs and stuff like that. And I'm not even mm-hmm. close to that, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just, it's one of those things where like, you do not have to be, you do not have to, you can find an audience for most topics if you are willing to put in and, and actually, you know, put out the best stuff consistently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there, so what was the, was it the algorithm with the restoration uh, crossover or, or was there an inflection point with maybe a particular video that really popped off? Or... Yeah. Um, so again, I don't actually know what happened. I'm reverse engineering and sort of making a bunch of assumptions, sure, yeah, yeah. but it was the algorithm um, and it was a pair of videos that popped off. Uh, okay. at the end of 2021. Can you can you reverse engineer and maybe tell me why those two videos were especially compelling? One of them I can and the other one I can't. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so one of them is because... I, my, so one of them is, I believe, it's because it was a Rolex and it has name recognition and even people who aren't into watches know what that is. Yeah, and they know, know it's an expensive is. watch, right? That's just sort of how they think of it. Um, and so I think that that was part of it. And then the other one, I think was just a really good video, but that happened to follow that one, not, not that far away. So I think that it just was a one, two punch where people would like get served that one, see it and then see this next one and do it. And then I, since then I've had a couple of videos that have, um, spiked up well beyond what my normal video would do. And I believe that those bring people in from a wider audience like those for whatever reasons those ones are more appealing to like a broader like even just a general youtube audience type thing and then they will watch like they'll binge or go back and and find some of the others Mm because like i haven't looked at it in a while because i try actually not to focus on numbers too much but let me look on my phone because seriously like a couple of them are just like completely ridiculous you know by um you know, just outperforming all the other. Oh, videos, by like or? such a huge factor. Like, let me find. There's one in. There's one that's like a really beautiful story. Here it is. Wow. Yeah. So this one's at eight point eight million views, mm. and that's the most on any of my channel by a lot. And mm. you know that's. <laughs> Was that the Rolex one or? It's one of them. Yeah, this one actually okay. came out later. Um, really it's actually one of those like beautiful content stories where I put a lot of extra effort in the video, which by no means means that it's going to do better than any video, (laughs) any other video, but it actually did. Like the story was really special. I really took my time and stuck the landing and made sure that I did everything that I did that story justice. And, um, and it all came together and that ended up being kind of, you know, the number one video or whatever. Would you say there's generally a correlation on your channel with the work you put in and the, mm-hmm. 
the intentionality and mm -hmm. the so-called results? Generally, yes. But on any given video, no. Okay. Like if I, t if I told you, you know, that I put extra effort into 10 videos because I thought that they really had a chance to be special stories and videos, you know, I would say something like seven out of 10 of those outperformed with like two out of 10, like absolutely like, like that one, like ludicrously outperforming. But there's two or three that just performed like at or below average. How, how has your um, process changed with these videos? Because you mentioned, you know, initially uh, doing it for yourself mm -hmm. and making them 45, 55 minutes, however long it took. You, you had also mentioned, for example, you know, maybe one screw, not four screws in terms of maybe cutting out some of the, the dead time. But like, is that, was it pretty, is it pretty similar to how you do videos now versus back then? Or yeah. it, did you iterate a lot on the process? Yeah, I, I really got the process pretty well figured out before I started putting up videos. So I knew I wanted to be proud of the first video that I made, like I wouldn't want to look back and be embarrassed by it. And even though I'm not, I, I still think it's like it holds up okay. Like, I definitely have refined my skills in this over time. Now it's like, I'm a machine. I mean, I, I got this thing down now, you know, because there's a lot of moving parts, three cameras going simultaneously. I mean, I'm freaking working on a watch that's this big. It's tiny. It's difficult sure. work, right? It's, it's sometimes it's, even smaller. I saw the one you did with the, the tiniest watch. Right? Oh, so that, that was crazy, must have been hard. that thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, so these things are, you know, I, I, it's a lot, right? Like these are very, very high technical, like intricate. Yeah, yeah. It's doing two really difficult things simultaneously, like filming exactly. a video with three separate cameras that all need to be constantly in focus and make sure nothing's going wrong. And the audio is there and all the other stuff is already difficult. And then also repairing a watch under cameras is very difficult because yeah. normally you're about two inches from the watch itself. The desks that they work on are made so that they raise up to your chin level and you basically sit right on the very ledge of it so you can get an inch uh, away. And I can't do any of that because then my hands and my head are in the camera view. So I have right. a totally different, you know, watchmaker <laughs> approach than most people. But I mean, you just learn different and then you just get used to it. Um, so I also, I added a third camera like a year, year and a half ago. And that was something that I had wanted to do from the beginning, but wanted to kind of proof of concept this thing out and, and also just figure out that I could do it at some point. And to me, that was a game changer. It, it completely added a different dimension. And it in fact is the camera that gets the most camera time. So the camera I added is the one that I used the most. So that, you know, wow. was a very big uh, upgrade. For sure. And I had to get another so camera and a lens and I had to spend the money and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, this is incredible just because it feels like it's all completely self taught. It is like, you're still a one person production from 100%, what I can infer. One person. Like yeah. you're doing all of the editing. Yes. You're still like doing Everything. LR and you're doing wristwatch. Like, yes. How, how do you even balance the time between these two projects? Cause uh, mm. I guess LR, you've got it down to a science. So yeah. that helps. L LR time wise doesn't take that much. The, I mean, the biggest time sink for LR is me drafting, right? Because like, I actually have to draft so that I know what I'm talking about, know what cards are doing well, and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But I like doing that anyway. That's like, I'd rather do that than watch TV. So that's, you know, I call it work research. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it's just, I'm just drafting, you know, I, I want to mm -hmm. do it anyway. Yeah. So yeah. but 
so the rest of the time goes to wristwatch revival. I mean, that's it. I have a, again, I really believe in putting the effort up front so that you can do it later. I upgraded my computer setup last year, year and a half ago to accommodate wristwatch revival stuff. Well, the computers I had before could do it, but what I did is I got a new computer for home and I got a new laptop and my workflow at this point, if you want to get nerdy, is I got the big hard drives on both. So I got four terabyte drives on the laptop and on the uh, desktop, which is freaking expensive, but worth it because each project is about one terabyte now when I'm done. They're huge. Mm -hmm. and, oh, yeah. and then I use Dropbox. So when I film, I put the stuff on, it goes up to Dropbox, it gets synced up with the laptop. So I can sit here where I'm sitting right now talking to you, James, and I can edit. And then if it's like, oh, I'm going to go to my girlfriend's house and we're going to watch TV or whatever. Save it, quit out, grab my laptop. I get on. She puts on some terrible TV show that I don't want to watch. <laughs> and boom. You're multitasking. Laptop's open. I can watch The Bachelor and I can edit like sure. a I mean, champion. You don't need to have all your – you don't have to be fully engaged on The Bachelor. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. uh, in fact, it's better to not be in many ways. And, <laughs> yeah. but, but when I open up my laptop, everything's right there. Yeah. And there's no difference in editing. Like there's, I get that workflow down. Yeah. Per, like, and that was really important for me because if I had to be sitting literally at this desk to, to be able to work on it, the channel wouldn't exist. I mean, You're I just so limited in time and you yeah. have to be here. And when I go travel yeah. for magic events, guess what I'm doing on the airplane, right? Guess what I'm doing in the hotel room, right? I just, I'm an editing machine, but I'm unwilling to hand off that part of the production because to me, the edit is the, the art. It's to me, it's yeah. like, that's where I get to tell the story. And anything that I include in the edit is because I have determined it is important to get this point across or to tell the story that I'm trying to tell. And anything that I haven't is because it didn't, it, it was a tough cut that I couldn't fit into the time frame that I want. And I don't trust anybody else to do that. Mm. Precision. I do yeah. want to hire somebody though. I uh, want to hire somebody you, to you make, say that, but how serious are I you? I mean, about it. It. I do want to hire somebody to make shorts. Ah, yes. I was going to ask about that because I feel like there is some value in shorts, maybe getting traffic to the main yes. content. Yes. And the, and the formula is really easy because you make a short and then you get a short for YouTube, you get a reel for Instagram, you get a TikTok, yep. And then if you put it on Instagram, it can be on Facebook too. So yep. you get effectively four, the, the major four social medias four for one, one yeah. clip and my, and, and what, people that do this, I've done a little bit of research, what they look for is they want long form content that you can chop up into a bunch of shorts. Yes. That's what I have, right? I mean, yeah. I, I've spent the last four days working on my backup solution that I have so that I can have access to all of these. And when I finally find somebody to make these shorts for me, <laughs> I've been looking, I've actually had two different people like semi hired to do it and it didn't work out for unrelated to mm -hmm. like they had life stuff come up and couldn't do it. But when I do finally stick the landing and get somebody to do it, that I will hand off and say, make this your own. I'm going to give you guidance, but like, I don't care. Like I want these. And, and I've got two and a half years worth of projects that can just be mined for as many of these. You things could as possible. literally put have like, if you have someone do them and do them well, you could literally be posting like three shorts a day if you needed yes, to. Yes, for because a long each, time. Each episode can be just be broken down to so many yeah. things. 
And I feel like they're still on brand with the channel because yes. they're really just to hook people to get into. Yep. Uh, you don't have to compromise on the content and the sourcing exactly. material is already there. And it's already there, right? And so it's really just, it's just sitting finding the there time for to me. do the shorts. Right. And yeah. so I did try that. And I made a couple. And I made a TikTok, which I didn't even have. I did a short of one of my things. I put it up on TikTok and it got like 50,000 views in like a week. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's enough. Like, I'm not going to, I had no followers, like literally right. zero when I put it up. So like, there's something there. I don't, I don't need any more proof of concept than that. Um, I just need to find somebody that I can say, here's 35 terabytes of projects. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anytime you'd like to turn some of your time into money, <laughs> turn these into shorts and get them back yeah. to me, you know? So that's, I'm, I'm, I'm in the, keep my eye open for, for something like that. Yeah. I, I, so the reason I'm asking all these questions is because I've, uh, yes, I am that guy. I'm the guy who like watches YouTube on how to YouTube and like, just don't do just, that. Just, I know it's, don't do it's that. terrible. It's, it's, your, a, it's a, your it's brain a, space a, will go to the wrong things. You, it's the mush. you, yeah. it, it, I, I am not trying to argue that those things do not have an impact. I do try to make the best thumbnail that I can. Sure. But it's 5% of the time where yeah. I feel like a lot of people spend 50% of the time on what time should I post this? And you know, what thumbnail? Yeah. And the mechanics the, of it, yeah. right? They're so, and it's this like over fetishization of totally, like, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z like, uh, and here's my channel on how to do X, Y, and Z. There's yes. like a cottage industry on like how to YouTube. And it's, it's by people that do nothing but tell you how to YouTube. Yes. Like they don't actually have original content. Right. They just, right. just regurgitating. Right. And like, what, who they should like listen five to secrets to have a good is YouTube they should channel. listen to people like me <laughs> who started yeah. with zero subscribers and no audience right. at all, you know, two and a half years ago. Right. It's pure. You just did something that you wanted to right. do. You did it to the right. best quality standard that you could do. Yes. And you focused on that. Yes. That's it. And I don't, I've never asked anybody in the video to do anything related to YouTube. Right. So however many subscribers the channel has, those were people who said, I like this video. And if he puts out another one, I'd like to see that one too. So I'm going to hit this button. Yeah. And the people that hit the like button said, I like this. Right. I like this guy. I like what he's doing and I'm going to click. Right. There's no, please like subscribe, uh, you know, Smash get on my that Patreon, like right. smash and that like button. The only one I do is the Patreon. And I right. take a section in the middle of the video and I keep it short. It's like 30 seconds to a minute. Respectful. And, yep. yeah, and I just say, brief. hey, if you like what I'm doing here, you can support me here. Totally right. optional. You get a couple of right. little perks. It's not pushy. It's that's not it. like three times a video nope. or something. And that's it. And yeah. I'm done. And, you know, but I'll tell you what. And I'm not saying that I'll do this forever. But there are very difficult decisions that need to be made around this. Are you willing to commit to this quality thing? Because guess what happens when your channel hits certain levels? People come and say, I'll, do you want to do a sponsored spot? Yeah, sponsorships. Like, How yeah. do you approach that? Yeah, I so mean, you must get approached now. All the time, so. right? And they'll give me a lot of money. Five grand for one, episode, mm-hmm. for one thing. Here you go. You know, no problem. Yeah. And I've told them all no. Even if they're companies that I think are totally fine, I definitely wouldn't do one for a company. Well, why, I didn't why not? Want. Why not? Just, it's because just a I think it messes with the content. So you're a purist in that in that sense. Hey man, <laughs> I mean I mean it when I say I want this thing to be the best it can possibly be. 
if I'm telling the story of a watch, hey, this was this guy's grandpa's watch and he died, he left it to him and a thing. And then I go, have you ever heard of Squarespace? By the way, speaking of this deceased person, uh, <laughs> this is what you can do to yeah. keep track of how, uh, your family. Yeah, how about and, life insurance <laughs> or Ancestry.com? You know, it completely takes you out of the moment. It's impersonal. Uh, people don't like it. And it sucks. That said, content creation is a very tough game. You don't get to do yeah. it forever. And I don't blame anybody who would take that money. But for me, I firmly believe that part of the reason that the channel's grown to where it's grown is because I have sidestepped those things. Because people are so used to people begging them for likes and subscriptions, for pitching them random hair club stuff in the middle of their video, that they appreciate that I don't. Now, I don't know if they appreciate it in like an outward way. Like I don't have people coming up and saying, hey, I love that you don't do this. But I think that it connects me more with them to just talk and do the content. And, but I will tell you, I am not, I am not uh, against the business side of things when it comes to this, because what I have decided to do is start a website where I will sell the watches that I've fixed on the channel. Uh, used watches like vintage watches and toolkits for working on watches that I have personally curated myself. And this, this site's actually um, getting really close to launching. We're effectively done with it. We're going to do a soft launch just to my patrons to make sure that the back end stuff is all working and everything. But before the end of the year, before Christmas time, it will be launched. So I'm not going to stop the whole video to say, you need to go to my website. I'm going to say, Hey, I know a bunch of you, and this is true, by the way, I know a bunch of you has a, have asked me about getting into this hobby. And a lot of you have asked me about what tools to get and how confusing it can be to figure out which tools you want to buy the good version of, which one to buy the bad version of. Well, I've got a bunch of kits over at my website. So if you want to check that out, you can do that. So I'm basically, instead of my thought process is I could take the short-term money from the sponsors to point my audience and use that credibility to point them at Squarespace or whatever, or I can point them at me, right? Mm -hmm. At myself. And it's a big bet because I don't, I've never done a retail website before and I'm working with a partner, but like we, he hasn't really either. We both like know the space and we're not like just slamming our head into the wall. But at the same time, it's like, it's different when you've really done it before and built out a fully fleshed out retail site and we haven't. So we're kind of just, I make it a bet on myself that I can take that audience and point them at me and then try to make that into a business that's off, off of YouTube and separate from YouTube. So that's my, you know, that's my bet. That's my, that's what I'm trying to do um, rather than take the, the short-term monetary benefit. Yeah. I mean, we all have a certain amount of uh, credibility or credit and you're choosing to spend it in something that feels more congruent to what the content is, right? Yes. So that and I there's can, something good about it. I, yeah, and I can talk about it on the video without... Without it being feeling forced in your yes. own, like hearing yourself talk about it in yes. an artificial way, right? Yes, and I'll, yeah. I will find a way to bring it up every video. I will. Like, I'm not dumb, yeah. right? I'm gonna. It's yeah. going to get in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it might just be as simple as, um, you know, it's some, you know, minute just, 34, and I just say something like, 
you know, if, if you like what I'm doing here uh, as far as watch restoration goes and you've been thinking about getting into it, um, I do have yeah. some curated toolkits and some watches and, yeah. you know, and we've got, you know, we're going to sell the watch movement, uh, mm. like a generic one, a, a, a Chinese version of like sort of a, a movement design that's been around forever that you can get for like 50 bucks, but we're going to sell them on the, on the website too. And one of my videos that I'm going to put out is me uh, taking that movement apart and putting it back together using only tools from the kit. So if you want to replicate mm. that, it's a video that I'm going to just take the time to uh, name the parts. And so it'll have a general appeal. But during the course of that, I'll say, and by the way, if you're interested in trying this for yourself, you can buy this movement and all the tools that you see in this over at my website. You know, so like I'm trying to have two pillars here because, I mean, it is nerve wracking having, um, you know, most of your income come from one platform. Oh, yeah. Sucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think YouTube's going to be around for for a very long time, but it's still the old, like, it's still a variation of, like, have an email mailing list because Facebook could go away. So if you're only posting on Facebook, like, and they actually the algorithm, or it doesn't go away, but the algorithm de-emphasizes your content, you you got to have a way to take control of your, your destiny. Not yes. saying that something's going to happen on YouTube, but just yes. hedging, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I just I I tend to put content creators into a few buckets, you know, maybe like, I don't know, like maybe like four tiers. Bottom tier are just like the most annoying shills who just are like trying to pump algorithm numbers and like they never last, right? So those are very easy to uh to identify and and they just never hang around because those hacks and like. You mean they're kind of chasing trends? Yeah, they, in a way, they or... chase trends. They just do everything exactly like they copy everybody around them the yeah, youtube like thumbnails. Here, i'm gonna do my mr beast video exactly, or something right yeah and they never last it's not genuine that those are easy to see and then you know one step up from that are people that are like trying but just aren't very good at it right like they're just missing their content isn't quite there or they you can tell that they're not really putting in the effort or it's not really a well thought out idea or something like that and then tier three would be like probably most of the regular popular content creators they kind of follow the template of having really good content and then mm -hmm. putting the normal things around it, begging for likes and subscriptions, putting too much effort, but it does work sometimes into the thumbnails, taking on sponsorships, and you kind of get your typical YouTuber, right? A, a typical successful YouTuber, let's say. Right. And then there's the right. top tier ones, and that's where I want to be. And these are people that buck the trends and are successful anyway. Um, Kenji Lopez-Alt in the cooking space is the epitome of this for me. He doesn't take any sponsorships from anybody. So if you watch one of his cooking videos and he says, I got this new thermometer and it's awesome. They just sell out. You, you bet it's awesome. He has because... pure credibility because every, because right. he says all the time, I don't take money. Like I'm not, I'm not, a, not sponsored. Yes. I'm just not sponsored. Like he just doesn't do that. So you, and when he tries a new knife and it sucks, he'll say like, mm, I wouldn't have probably bought this. <laughs> you know, and you're right. like, and, and that's it. If he goes to a rest, he lives in Seattle now. If he posts on Instagram that there's a really great new burger, you know, food truck, there's a line. That he wasn't, he wasn't paid to post. Right. He, he just likes right. it. Yeah. Where now imagine the tier three that I was talking about before, where it's like, I'm a food influencer. Hey guys, I'm trying out this new burger and make sure you check out Squarespace and smash that like button. But it's also entertaining, decent content that people like to watch. Mm -hmm. If that guy shows up and says, you got to come to this food truck. I'm like, 
I don't really feel anything inside. Like, I'm not like, Ooh, I want to try that. I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe I will. Maybe I won't, but maybe they're being paid for it. Or maybe they're just like the type of person that's always telling you to check out something or pointing you in some call to action direction or whatever. Right. And Mm -hmm. you know, like I, I, there's many, but like a good example, I think in magic would be like Ristic studies, Sam, like that guy's legit. Right, like his stuff, his videos are like. Sam has been on the record saying he never begs for subscribes. He's, he's just never, like me, ever, man. Yeah, and I've had we, multiple. We've, ta- we've talked about it. We mm-hmm. talked about the evils of TikTok, Sam and I. And he was just like, "There's a part of me that wants to do another channel just to prove how easy it would be to yeah. give in to the system and just do everything by the fashionable way." And I probably grow another channel even faster, but. I choose not to. Yes. I think the power is in choosing not to. I think so too. I also believe that that isn't sustainable. I don't think that people that do that last. I just don't think that there's a proven track record of people who are the best in their space for a long period of time being the type of people who just do the shortcutty build up a channel fast type things. Um, and I think that Sam's a perfect example. When one of his videos hits, it, it's an event. It's an event, right? I mean, you know it's going to be awesome. And people flock to it. And I don't know if you've seen his Patreon, but he's very well supported, especially for somebody who's not pumping out weekly content or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. He's doing really good. My Patreon for the watch channel, same thing, right? Like I try yeah, to do, done well. I try to do two videos a month if I can, you know? And like right now that Patreon's over 6K a video, like per video, mm-hmm. right? And And that's because they trust me. They know that I'm not gonna be like, Hey guys, I got a new watch strap 15 minute video just to hit the button again. Right. And these are the, these are the type of people that I really look to and try to be myself in in any given space. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't want to say, I don't want to, I want to make it clear. I know you're not disparaging others that do it because you said it's hard. Yeah. I mean, professions like, you know, to, to point, point that mirror on myself with LR, we had FTX as a sponsor right? That sucked. Like that was awful. The fallout of that was horrible. It still makes me not feel good. And when we took the sponsorship, it felt weird, but it was like, Hey, we have to do what we have to do to keep, Mm -hmm. look, the shows don't last if they're not monetized period. Mm -hmm. People that make content over the course of years and don't properly monetize their shows disappear. It's just a fact. Like, I'm sure you've seen this before, but many, many content creators are very reluctant to monetize. I was too at the very beginning with LR. I just, it felt weird. But Mm -hmm. I don't feel that way anymore because I know now that if you don't, then you disappear. And then you're really doing your your audience a disservice. If you Mm -hmm. just would have simply asked them, they would have given it to you and you could comfortably continue to put the effort needed in and the time needed in to make the content that they want but you were mm-hmm. too, you felt too weird to even ask them. And now they just don't get the content anymore. I've had podcasts that I really like just disappear. And I'm like, I would have paid you. Like, I really liked what you did. And if you would have given me some avenue to support you financially, I would have done so. And often they cite financials as the reason that they can't justify doing their podcast. And I'm like, hey, I'm right here, man. I would have, I would have mm-hmm. done that, you know? And it's so, hard to find that balance, though, because I'm sure those podcasts also don't want to be seen, or I'm sure maybe uh, not all, but I'm sure some of those creators also don't have values that say they're asking for handouts, so they probably feel reluctant to also yeah. ask. Yeah, and, and and I mean th- that to me is a framing problem because I agree with that, 
but the the model isn't i'm begging you for a handout the the model is if you'd like me to continue making the thing that you're enjoying and it's comfortable for you to support it financially here's an avenue to do it that's how i see yeah. it but again i think that's a you good know, way to put it yeah. yeah and and like i said i mean to me i totally get it like people do what they have to do right i'm trying this thing with the website if the website crashes and burns and in a year and a half, I'm like, okay, I got to start taking these sponsorships on, you know, these, these sponsored ads in the channel, then I'll do what I have to do. I'd rather do that than shut down the channel. Mm -hmm. But, you know, thus far I have, you know, been able to say no. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have a specific goal in mind? Like, cause I, you mentioned, you know, Patreon brings in a certain amount of, uh, revenue, assuming that you're still putting out new videos, mm -hmm. right? Cause there's, there's some sort of a contract that you have or mm -hmm. a social contract you have for that. Yeah. Um, are you, are you looking to, you don't have to be super specific, but are you looking to reach like a certain threshold and you're like, I'm good. And I can, as long as I can no, stay at that level. I don't think about things like that. Okay. I, That's not how your mind works. Mm -mm. I think about. Because I feel like that just artificially limits me. And then once you hit it, what, what next? Well, right? like, it's, it's kind of like... example. So for the watch channel, I passed that like by a lot. I had a number mm -hmm. in mind for what I wanted to make off of it every month to make it be a thing that I felt good as an adult grown person that wants to retire and invest and pay mm -hmm. my bills and not go into debt and blankety, blankety, blank have insurance, etc. And I said, Okay, if I can get it to this level, in a combination of YouTube ads, Patreon, and then if I can do a third thing like sponsors on the videos or the website or whatever, or the website, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. if I can get that to this level, then that's where I feel like it's a checkbox for me. And then I kind of had like a in my mind, like a stretch goal, like if I could get it to this level, I would be like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And then it surpassed all of them. So beyond your wildest expectations. Way already. beyond. So now I'm like, the that way of thinking that you said would lead me to say, I'm good. But why would I do that? Right? Like, if there's more ceiling to be had, I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to, like, compromise my ethics to, to get to it. But I will try to maximize reasonably what I can maximize while still putting out the thing that I want. I, I don't mm -hmm. like to set goals, monetary or number goals like that, because my goal is to, within the framework of what I find acceptable, get the most that I can. If I set a goal and surpass it, then what am I going to do? Stop? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if I'm like, I'd like to have 50,000 right. subscribers. Well, and by the way, I never, ever, ever set goals with subscribers or followers or views or anything like that, because mm -hmm. that's how you get right on that track to, hey, I got a goal to get 50,000 subscribers. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Right, right, and now you're annoying right. everybody. Well, I got to start applying these hacks and all this right. stuff. Right? But at any yeah. rate, let's say I did say I want to get to 50,000 subs by the end of this month, and then I got to 60. Like, at the point, am I just sitting back lazy now? Like, like yeah. as it turns out, I had a higher ceiling than I thought, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the fact that I aimed low, because to me, these are all just numbers. I mean, I know that like they are dollars that ultimately make it into your bank account and change, you know, your life or whatever. But well, for, those are also just numbers too. It's especially just numbers. When I mean, I'm not a, a lavish person. Comfort, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, 
I, I live a really, really great life. And I did before I started the watch channel, you know, and yeah. like, I don't need them. I mean, I have some really expensive watches now, like for my taste, you know, like, mm. but those are the ones I buy are the ones that you can sell again for the same amount. Like I, I don't buy the ones that, that you know, it's the magic me. player. Uh, I, I'm uh, sorry, man. Uh, I'm just built uh, that coping, way. right? Like, yeah, you know, I can always sell these dual lands. I, I can always, but it's true, them. right? Like if you walked up to me and you said, I just spent a thousand dollars on magic cards. And I said, mm, what'd you get James? And you said, I got a bunch of like OG duels or I got whatever one or two you can get for a thousand bucks. I would say, that's great. Those either go up in value or you can get basically all of it back whenever you want. It's rare that mm -hmm. those bottom out. If you came to me and said, dude, I got all the rares in standard, right? I would be like, that was a mistake, right? Like you, you I got all the new, I got foils of the hot right. standard rare. That I got is all unplayable. 15 versions of this new right. uh, Samwise Gamgee right. or whatever. And you know, so like yeah. for my watch purchases, I try to generally get ones that I know that if I, decide i mm. want to buy a house or if i yeah, yeah. you know i grew up they're not, pretty they're not like diamonds they actually have that right. right i i, I <laughs> grew up pretty poor and so like i have that i think they call it a scarcity mindset <laughs> mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. where like i have to train myself to think like how high could i go not looking back going but what if i lose it all <laughs> you know <laughs> and uh so anyway but my, my point being that you know with a few exceptions you know i i just i don't have my eyes on a yacht Right. I don't, you know, I'm not like some, like, I want to be able to get Starbucks. There's nothing in your life, I assume, that you need to have that you don't already have. Nothing. Not even close. I have so much more. I, I could go down significantly on lifestyle and be perfectly happy. Like, mm -hmm. I live in a really great apartment. I don't care. Like, it doesn't, I don't have my esteem tied up in it. Right. I could just, I yeah. could move to like a totally normal sure. place. Your ego's not tied no, up. No, yeah. it's like, I like it it's nice. It's a nice place to work and to wake up, but I don't care, you know, and it's, you know, I have a really great car. I, I don't need, I drove the same car for 13 years. Like it's a 2002. I just, this year yeah. I got a, another car, but like, you know, my car had 50,000, 150,000 miles on it. And I'm like, I love that car. I don't care. You right. know, th th this stuff isn't, I enjoy nice things. I, I, I do have that gene in me, but you could take all yeah. of it tomorrow and I wouldn't care. Well, it's about enjoying experiences, right? Yeah. I think I think the act of um, fixing a watch, the act of having a good meal, right? I, I assume for you, Starbucks. you know, the Starbucks. Like, there's certain things that are just good experiences, yeah. And those are very valuable. But yeah. like owning, I think for me too, like owning, uh, having like three houses is not what I care about. No. Having uh, like a modern, like maybe a vintage car would be really nice. Yeah. But like I wouldn't care about having like a 2023. <laughs> Lamborghini or something right. like I don't I don't care yeah and I love cars and I'm the same way I'm just like whatever you know and by yeah. the way I own my old car so long it's a vintage car now <laughs> it's a classic vintage car it's a classic okay. yeah I still have okay. it because uh, not because I love it still but anyway my, my point was though that when it comes to that type of stuff I don't really set an upper limit on what I could make or build from my enterprises but mm -hmm. they also don't matter to me on the level like all it represents to me <laughs> it's kind of two things one is security mm -hmm. i value financial security very highly because of how i grew up yeah and the other one is kind of weird the thing that you could take away from me that i'd be really sad it's not watches or magic cards or my car or anything like that 
it's my cameras and my computers. Like I was going to say computers. The, yeah. The, the and, cameras and too. As a re- and also like my watchmaking stuff, the stuff I use to create and to make stuff. I'm very attached the, to the tools, the tools, the tools, right? I, yeah. I would be super bummed if I hit some financial situation that said you couldn't have the really awesome yeah. computer that you have. And also body and mind, right? Like if, 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 if Lord forbid you couldn't make the content oh. for whatever reason or even play basketball for whatever reason, I'm sure that would be oh, that's number a, one. a huge setback. Yeah, that, that's yeah. number one by like um, by 100,000 miles. Yeah, like yeah. I care more about that stuff than anything by a long shot. But just material possessions wise. Sure. Whatever. But, but like I said, I can, that's why I don't set goals like that. My goal is to do as much as I can within the framework that I'm given, you know? Because yeah. I found throughout my whole life, that I don't know why, but the my brain works such that if you put me in an environment and say, go do the thing, I will adapt to that. Mm. If it's on the coverage mm. team, then I'm like, okay, I want to try to be the best play-by-play I can be. If it's, hey, you're going to start doing restoration videos on YouTube. Well, I want to try to do the best in the space that I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Right. If it's you're going to do a magic podcast. OK, well, there's this is my little new environment, the pond, if you will. And I mm-hmm. want to try to be the big fish in that pond. Right. I want to try to put out the best podcast that I can. Right. And any time if I go down to the gym to play basketball tomorrow, which I'm going to do, my pond are these other players. And I want to try to be the best one. I don't know why. So is that is that part of being it's more than just being competitive. It's 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 I mean, to say it's just because you're competitive is sort of it's sort of uh, it's sort of a glib statement. Like it's more like you just want to be the best you can in what you choose to do. Maybe it's as simple as that. Yeah, it is. And, and I feel that, you know, having learned and done stuff a bunch that I at least have an understanding of what it would take. You know, like when I started the watch channel, there were there's other watch channels and I I watch them. I enjoy watching them, but I also have that sort of competitive thing where I'm like, oh, I think mine's a little better here or I wouldn't have done it that way or, you know, or like being consistent mm-hmm. where I see somebody fall off for four months and try to get it back going again or, you know, that type of thing. And I'm like, that would have been easy for me to do, but here I am, right? Because... Mm-hmm. I feel confident that the way that I'm doing it is going to put me ahead at the end. And Mm -hmm. you know, that comes from poker and all that kind of stuff that it's on any one given thing. It's all over the place. But when you look at it over a few years, you know, Mm -hmm. that's where it starts to, the distance starts to form. You know, you mentioned having the, in your, in your model, like the four types of four levels of content creators. For me, there's almost like a different way to look at it, which is, which is that it's almost like, I don't know if this is like too strong of a concept, but it's almost like some people are kind of like accidental content creators. Like mm. they're really like they're because they're scatterbrain. I hate to say it because they have ADHD or they're scatterbrain mm-hmm. or they they're they're just they just lack impulse control. They're good at uniquely putting themselves in front of a camera or tweeting a hundred times a day mm-hmm. because it's just an outlet for mm-hmm. that's congruent with who they are. And then there's other folks, maybe like yourself, which you're just really fucking hardworking like you just really <laughs> yeah. focus on the work ethic and just being consistent and it's not about like um having random thoughts it's not about being one being the ultimate generalist it's really just like 
here are things that I look at as a discipline. So I think the way you do content is not any different than really being a mechanic, uh, not to dismiss mechanics or content creators, but it really is just like uh, a manifestation of who you are. I guess we are manifestations of who we are in terms of how we do things, right? Yeah. But and I- it's not like, it's not like, it's just it's just compatible with like the work ethic that you have it is and you know and it's also strategic in the sense of like i've noticed over the course of my life what works like what what do people do who end up being in those positions and it's always the trite stuff it's always the stuff that's just easy to ignore it's always the stuff that just you've heard a thousand times but doesn't resonate And if you are actually one of those people who can internalize that, that advice or that idea where you can actually say, okay, I have to work hard and I have to be patient. And it's just the easiest thing ever to blow off and go, yeah, I know I got to work hard, whatever, you know, but like, you know, I did wristwatch revival for six months and got, you know, a thousand views or something you know, on a video or whatever. I don't remember the numbers, but you know, say under 10,000 views peak after six months of work. When we did the podcast, you know, we, we had done it for two years before, I mean, sponsorships weren't even a thing because we started it so long ago, but before we got a sponsor and then it was nothing. Right. And it was probably five years before it was actually like financially relevant. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, people don't, like, it's hard to internalize that. Like, are you willing to do something once a week that's hard for two years with no payoff monetarily or otherwise? Are, you know, um, most people aren't. So if you can get inside and say, I am, like, I, you know, and I mean, I think we all know what the, what the key is. Right. It, the, the key is you have to actually like it because if I didn't like doing the podcast, I wouldn't have done it for two years with no payout, even though that's, you know, that isn't why we started it. When I started wristwatch revival, I didn't start it to make money. Right. I did it cause I wanted to make something that wasn't right. magic. You're specific. not like, how do I game YouTube no, for views? No. Right. I, it's I, not I, like I had an idea for videos. Again, I enjoy sharing the things that I find fascinating with other people. And I find competitive magic fascinating. And I really enjoy being the conduit by which somebody who isn't as into it as I can, can view it and understand what's going on. I find watches fascinating. I know it's like they're kind of weird everyday object and they're antiquated and stuff, but I'm telling you there's something special about these things. It's very Mm -hmm. rare to have a combination of mechanics and design. You know, cars are similar. A lot of watch people like cars, a lot of car people like watches. And the fact that our civilization produced something that could keep time at this level before electricity, blah, 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 is really fascinating to me. The fact they last so long. And they last forever if you take care of them. Forever. Yeah. Fantastic. And I wanted that. That's what I wanted to show people. Now, my content creator brain started going about how could I do it best but I never thought anything about how do I appease YouTube or anything like that. And when I started doing it, I had absolutely no expectation. You know, a great example would be MTG Breakdown. 
I wanted to sit down with pros because I had access to them and watch their matches. I did not want to make money off of MT. I never even made a Patreon for it because I never felt that it was at the level that I was proud enough to put it in front of people and say that. I could have made one and probably had a few people do it, but I didn't do that because it never was quite at the level that I wanted. Mm -hmm. But I'm proud of what I did on it and it ran its course. But mm -hmm. I made what I wanted to make while I could make it. Once GP stopped happening, I couldn't do those videos anymore. So I stopped doing the channel. But like, that was fine. Like I put a lot of time and effort into that channel and didn't get anything out of it. I didn't care. Yeah. But no regrets, None. Right? It's just that, in that moment when you're making it. the thing, you, yeah. you, you, you enjoyed it. Right, and so when I started Wristwatch Revival, it was the exact same thing. And remember, I had no following in that space. So it felt like doing it on hard mode. Just, you're just in the desert on the hard mode. Complete yeah. zero, zero, zero. I mean, I started an Instagram account for it, zero, right? I started a mm -hmm. YouTube channel for it, zeros, just nothing, literally zero. I put up my first video and I got like 10 views and some guy named Bob was like, hey, Marshall, I really enjoyed the video. And I'm like, I cracked my knuckles and I replied nice. to freaking Bob. You know, I got in the comments, yeah, yeah. man. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I don't do that for the magic <laughs> stuff. You broke the cardinal rule. Yeah. Right? Never, never read the comments. Right. Uh, never, never admit you read the comments and never reply to the comments. Totally. And I got in there and chatted with Bob and told him, thanks, man. Appreciate you watching the video, you know, and then months yeah. go by. Right. And then it started to grow a little. And I thought, OK, maybe I got something here, you know, mm -hmm. and I've always just followed, you know, I'm very much of the mindset of making something, putting it out the world to see if it can fly. And if it does, then go fly with it. But if it doesn't, that's okay too, you know? But I don't think mm -hmm. that you can get on the other end of it and force something to fly. Like it either, it either has wings or it doesn't. And you need to Can't kind of figure it. that part out. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm internalizing what you're saying now and also our first conversation so many years ago because you were you telling me about um, – you know, consistency and like doing something that you love, which is a message that I think it's, it's very true. Um, I'm going through something right now where I knew all that stuff mm -hmm. and I, and about a year and a half ago, humans and magic became weekly. Mm -hmm. I made the decision to go like harder and go into, uh, you know, YouTube as well, which really I should have done like years ago, mm -hmm. but you know, hindsight is 2020, mm -hmm. right? Um, I understand everything you're saying, but I'm still, I'm still struggling a little bit because I would still want the show to be bigger at the level where I could quit my day job. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about that conversation we had about when you're at AT&T, you're grinding LR for like two, three years part-time. You took the plunge once you, uh, and it was still really very much a risk. It was, it was. still very much like a, a bootstrap thing, you know, it had a little bit of Kickstarter support, but it was, uh, this is pre Patreon, but yep. it was, it, it was still like jumping into the deep end of the pool. And I think for you, especially it was hard because of your background and, you know, feeling like you're walking away from something that, you know, you were making more than your family ever did in past generations mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yep. Um, I make, I, I'm in a role right now. I'm in product management software. I'm making really good money. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but there's a part of me that's just like, I mean, I think I'm good at my job. Mm -hmm. I get paid well for it. But damn, like if I could do interviews for a living mm -hmm. and make the same kind of money, I would leave that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I feel like I, I'm so much better. I mean, not to toot my own horn, but I'm I, I'm also like you. I don't like to brag about it, but I think I'm much better as an interviewer and valuable as someone in this space than whatever I do in my nine to five. Yeah. It's, it's just facts. Yeah. Um. So there's a part of me that's like, yes, trust the process. 
do the work, be consistent. Don't worry about it. Things will come. Growth will come over time. And it's been a slow kind of climb for me. But there's a part of me that's just like, man, I really want this to pop up. I yeah. really want to be able to explode. I really want to get like a million subscribers on YouTube because then I could take the next level of uh, risk taking yeah. and plunge. And I'm, I'm struggling with this so hard because I love what I do. Just like you, I love what I do. I'm not going to walk away from humans and magic, just like you're not going to walk away from LR. But there's a part of my brain that's just like, can I just get more rewards faster, please? Yeah, and it's you hard. Know, money doesn't buy happiness, but I need that cushion. No, so. no, and it, it is an important component. I mean, I think for you, where I would be focusing my energy as far as taking stock is what's what, what is the big what is the biggest audience you could get for what you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I think a good corollary would be MTG Breakdown, which by my estimates was a success in the sense that like I got views on those videos and people seemed to enjoy them, but it wasn't that many, you know, I mean, even the ones that kind of did well was, you know, 50,000 views. I think I was like really happy with that. And the vlogs got five to 10 and then the, the rewinds got, you know, 10 to 20 or something like that with a couple that got up into the forties and fifties, maybe, um, the pool wasn't that big. Right. I knew that when I did it, but magic content, you know, the biggest possible, you know, think professor or game nights or something like that. For I put you up there for, in terms of limited content, I think that's, think, that's yeah, but I mean, we're yeah. not aiming at as broad an audience as either of those, for example. Mm -hmm. um, also, I mean, both of those represent that top tier Right. caliber of content, right? Yeah. Um, the professor is a absolute machine, right? I mean, mm -hmm. talk about consistency of quality. The guy is a beast. The man doesn't sleep. He is yeah. unbelievable. I've talked to him and I mean, he is, he works. That guy yeah. is a machine. Yeah. And Jimmy and Josh are just unparalleled. I mean, their quality level yep. is, you know, part of the inspiration yep. for wristwatch revival level of editing was looking at Josh's edits of the early game nights. You know, he would post mm -hmm. the, I use the same program he does. And I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you know, I, Oh, so this is what's possible if you were you really want to take it to, to a different level. Mm -hmm. But those guys are aiming at a much broader audience within magic. MTG breakdown was aiming at a smaller one. You are aiming at a smaller one, right? Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. you have to, you know, try to figure out what does maxing out look like for you? Like your channel's right. not going to get to a million. Like there yeah. aren't a million people that want magic content on YouTube. Right. I mean, the, right. the professor's not at a million, I don't think. No, I mean, you're basically at professor levels. Not that you, I know, not that you care about the, the exact number. I, I know you, you said that, but if we just use that as a proxy, like you're probably at his level already with wristwatch, if right. not greater. Right. So yeah, I don't know what yeah. he's at, but yeah, I mean, the, I'm going to addressable market. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, you know, this thing's going to be at a million next year, you know, mm -hmm. wristwatch revival somewhere around there, I would guess, you know, mm -hmm. and, and so, so that's the, you know, so for, for you, you have to really try to like, are you already maxing out? Is there, is there a, a way, either an audience that you haven't reached or a way that you could reach a broader audience that would want what you mm -hmm. make? You know, mm -hmm. when I made MTG breakdown of those rewind videos, I knew it was for the nerdy PT crowd. Right. Oh yeah. The average viewer 
that watches the professor or watches game nights probably wouldn't find a, a rewind video very compelling. You know, they might go, mm-hmm. oh, it's yeah, kind of interesting, but yeah, like, it's a different, it's a different, crowd. they just might yeah. not know who the player is. Like they might not even know who Reed is, you know, they're, they're right. like, I follow cosplayers and, and commander players yeah. and I don't know who Reed Duke, you know, like, and, and he's, you know, probably the biggest name that I put on one of those videos, but you sure. know, go down a couple of tiers to retired magic pros who are a big deal to people like me, but you yeah. know, so I knew I, mean, I, I love Alexander Hain, but is, right. are they going to know who Alexander Hain is? Right. Probably not. They probably right? don't even know. Right. So, you know, if I got 15 or 20,000 views on one of those videos, I kind of figured really good. I could make a hundred more of them and I'm probably not ever yeah. <laughs> getting some yeah. other plateau or like now I'm at a yeah. hundred million or so, you know, yeah, I mean? sure. Maybe there's some dials, but it's not like, you know, right. now you're getting 2 million views on that video. Right. So I think yeah. for you, you know, that's the, the, the line of thinking that I would go down on is I want to get this and look, you need to make the thing that you want to make. And I know that you're passionate about this. You can tell, I mean, you're a machine too. Like, I don't want to leave you out of the conversation here. I mean, you, your work ethic is incredible and your professionalism is incredible. So you definitely have those tools, but when it comes to interviewing magic personalities, you're probably Mm -hmm. close to maxing out like, Oh yeah. So, you know, if, so, you know, to be realistic about it, what is the size of audience that you need to monetize it? I don't know off the top of my head. The number that always comes to me is about Mm 30,000, you know, active, like every week, you know, that type of thing, 50, 25, you know, something in that range usually is enough to support, like a Patreon plus some ads or, you know, some, a sponsorship plus some ad, you know, p- Patreon, some type of combination of things to make it so that it roughly equates like a decent, not a good job, but like a decent job. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of times people do like another thing and then they, you know, end up oh, having yeah. like a full income off it or whatever. I, I'm fully with you on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to kind of explain myself a bit. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think that's the, the top end. I would be, ecstatic i would be beyond the moon if i got there Mm -hmm. which i'm not there today Mm -hmm. um and i've actually made peace with myself like i went through some stuff this year in terms of content where i felt like i was like chasing Mm -hmm. and i kind of dialed that back a bit Mm -hmm. because now i'm not chasing i i'm at peace with this is a niche thing Mm -hmm. and if i want to do interviews with magic folks this is like there's a top end there's a ceiling for that there's a I, I made peace with that. Okay. I think for me, it's more about just like, how can I make this as high quality as possible? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do I grow faster to that top end? Yeah. So that that's kind of like, I'm not, I, I have no pretensions about, I mean. For what it's worth. I, I think you're doing exactly what you should be doing. I also saw that you're considering opening it up a little bit more to, to other personalities. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I've started a second uh, podcast mm-hmm. entirely not Humans and Magic, mm-hmm. which is more like interviews with people in different professions. Mm-hmm. It's not magic players anymore. I mean, we're not talking about magic half the time anyways, but mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of uh, use the same framework for a more general, more like uh, more like a Lex Friedman kind of thing. Yeah, he's kind of like, like you know, I'm just going to talk to people in all kinds of different ways, and I don't need a magic uh, qualifier. Um, but I'm finding it also challenging because it's just like splitting the time. Like I, I can be, I can go into machine mode like you, where I'm just grinding content 
uh, 24-7. I did do that. There was a recent Chinese holiday, and I guess what I was doing? I was working on both podcasts and videos and clipping, and I'm a one-person production. Uh, and that's it, man. I've got a marriage. I've got a job. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of training for marathons on the side. And that's all I can, that's my version of basketball now, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's all I can do. And I, and I, and that's, that, that's really it. And I, I, and I, you know, and so I believe in the work, I believe in just intrinsic satisfaction, but I'm still, there's still a part of my lizard brain. That's like, I care about the results and I wish I could grow faster. No, totally, you know? and, man. That's totally natural. Just stay strong. You know, you, if you start focusing on those stupid hacks and shortcuts and stuff, it's not going to lead you to where you want to go. Got to stop watching those videos yeah, on man. how stop to YouTube. Stop it. <laughs> You're the problem. <laughs> I, I am. I'm contributing to the problem. Yeah. I'm contributing to views on those videos, yeah. and it's going to help them. Yeah. Um, and I don't think yeah. those people are evil or anything. And honestly, a lot of what they say is relevant. It's just not – they just uh, pitch it as being outsized. It's not – like if, if all they did was put up all the same thumbnail, same description, and just came on their video every time and said, focus on the content, and they just shut off mm -hmm. their video, <laughs> you, they, they, you would they grow more. They only need one video. You would just, grow more, just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, just five seconds, right? Just, yeah. just a short, like, focus on the content. Focus That's on it. your content. Um, <laughs> just to go back a bit on LR, like, uh, so there's is there no ha, – has the thought ever crossed your mind to just – sunset your involvement in LR and just go all in on wristwatch revival no so what, what the what how that actually happens in my mind is it doesn't make sense for me to just walk away from LR because it is so efficient time-wise and stuff that and also by the way I really enjoy doing the show like I I talk to Luis every day but like I get to hang out with Luis that way and we've got our producer Jeff who I really like and you know, so it, I look forward to it and it only takes, you know, like sitting in my seat three hours or so of the record and the prep and stuff like that. And then another few hours that I can do kind of wherever um, of editing and getting the show up a week. So with that level of actual real in the seat time commitment, it just, it doesn't make sense for me to step away to free up that much space when I still enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. What it does do, though, is it says, I'm not looking to expand. Mm. I'm not looking to push the show in new directions or to try to, like, reimagine everything or to, you know, because there's some stuff that we could do. We could do shorts. We could do that type of content where we do, like, little tips about limited. We could do mm. uh, more with the video. Like you said, it's basically just a recording of us talking. But, you know, we could yeah, do we could more do gameplay video, draft graphical gameplay, stuff. Whatever. I could do draft videos every day, every week. I could try to build up the YouTube channel. I, there's a whole bunch of stuff. And for now, I have to put my effort into the watch channel. It's just you don't get these opportunities very often, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I've done many projects and a lot of the times they get to a level that I would consider successful, but it's not very often that one of them pops off like this. You know, I mm -hmm. probably won't have this happen again to me. And I'm treating it something like a professional athlete career mm -hmm. where you get to do the thing at a There's a very high level of... for a very yeah. short period of time. Those mm -hmm. guys earn more money during that time than they ever will again for the rest of their life. They get to enjoy the fruits of their labors the most. They're in on the field doing the thing right 
And that's how I'm viewing this. I don't know how long mm-hmm. I get to do wristwatch revival where it still makes sense to do it like at the level that I'm doing it. So I'm throwing myself into it hundred percent basically. But unlike um, athletes, I do feel like you could do it for a long time. Like, yeah. Let's say that you dialed back to doing uh, a video, like one video a month or whatever mm-hmm. it is. That could still be very sustainable. Yes. I mean, there's still watches that need to be fixed. That's not going to No, that's not going I, to change. I can do it until I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> but there's a shelf life for certain types of content usually. You really think so? I do. You don't think you, you don't think long form um content like this is going to just be evergreen like <laughs> you think you think eventually like the TikTokification of the world is just no. going to not make it viable anymore? No, what I mean is there's only so many times that you'll watch me take apart a watch, fix it, and put it back together. It's some like a certain person watching right, it. You mean right? And I could okay. So so that it it sort of you sort of saturate your audience at some point where they're like, I still like these, but I get it. I've seen it. I understand what's going to happen. And even if it's like somewhat variable, it happens enough that they start to roll off. And you'll see the numbers fall off on channels, well, on most channels. I mean, people are still going to Duran Duran concerts, right? If if these yes. old bands reunite once, once after a year, 50 but, years. But, you know, YouTube content is sort of about having people watch your stuff over and over and over again. And, I mean, average YouTube, you know, successful YouTube channel lasts about seven years. That's the, that's mm. the run rate for like... There's a for statistic a, on that. There's a statistic yeah. on it. There are many exceptions. I hope I'm one of them. You could be okay. 100% right. These could just stay interesting. You know, one of the compliments that I've gotten about the channel is people have said that I'm the Bob Ross of watches. There you go. And at That's first when I you know thought that was it. weird, but then I kind of liked it. And you can make the argument that I just made about Bob Ross. Well, he just paints pictures every time. I've seen it. He talks weird. He's nice. And he paints a picture it's different picture but he's just painting a picture so i've you've seen 50 of those shows you've seen fifty thousand of those shows mm-hmm. but he lasted as long as he wanted to go basically and he was putting mm-hmm. out everyday stuff so you know there's that chance that that's the case there are many youtubers who have been able to either change a little bit or extend it out but there's also many who have popped up where i mean think about your viewing habits and you know, whatever you watched five years ago, there's going to be very few that you still go every single time to watch unless they're attached to like a news cycle where they're getting fresh content sort of put into their hands all the time where yep. you want to know their opinion about it. Um, but if they're not, you're kind of like, yeah, this guy fixes watches. And while they are different enough, you know, over the course of years, you can see that start to fall. Again, I hope that's not the case. I will continue to do this for as long as they'll mm-hmm. let me because I love it. But I, th- I have to plan yeah, for think, that myself. I think the Bob Ross example is really good because uh, nobody remembers, for me also, another thing to add on here is like nobody remembers the number two to Bob Ross or number five on the Bob Ross tier list. They remember Bob Ross because he's number one. Yes. So he's top of mind. He is the person that is literally number one on the list. Yes. So I feel like if you could make yourself number one with wristwatch in this space or wristwatch restoration, then you will have a shot at longevity because yeah. outsized rewards go to the top, the leaders of every domain. That's what I'm trying, uh, man. Domain. And I'm telling so you. So that's the push, That's right? what that's I like want. If you can, I, I don't want to stay yeah. that way. Right. I want to, 
I, I've made my way to what I feel is the top of the type of videos that I do. Mm-hmm. But I would like to become the, I would like to stay that way. And, and, and like you said, you know, increase that. And I don't want to let it go. I love it. I love being in that place. I, you know, I, I'm proud of it. I I'm proud of the work that I've done. It makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I know you're not supposed to, but I have some of my self identification tied up in it now. Well, you should. I mean, I mean, I don't want to overdo it, but I take pride in it. Yeah, Yeah, I just do. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, I think you're one of the rare people I've talked to, at least in this show, where you've basically reached the top of not just one, but two domains that you're applying yourself to. And And I'm the best player at my pickup basketball game. So can we make it three? Okay, so three. Can we make it three? Three. Three. Okay, trifecta. So... I mean, that's, that's like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that's been in that situation. I mean, you know, I, sure, niches are niches, but I mean, there's something incredible about that. And I mean, is it, is it luck? Is it hard work? Is it wh- like, I don't know. Can you, I, I know you're, I already know by this conversation, you're, you're not great at tooting your own horn, but like, there's. There's something there. And it, the fact that you're not doing it just once, but three times. Yeah, I think uh, it's like you have that thing inside that makes you want to do it that's innate to you, you know, rather than just a decision. And then there's also the experience of having seen a roadmap that says, I think I could actually do that. And then there's also the self-selection, right? Like I'm selecting for things that I'm good at, right? Like. Mm-hmm. For example, doing coverage in the podcast all these years meant that when I fired up... Well, actually, I should say four. You're one of the top folks in coverage, if I may say Thank as well. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. I, all I care about is the basketball, but you know. Yeah, basketball comes <laughs> And I'm first, not so. even... The, the problem Ball is, is life. there's this like 6'8 <laughs> guy who like plays a lot like me, and I'm, he's just like a better uh, version uh, of me. It's really <laughs> annoying. But, uh, okay. but yeah, you know, but I, but you know, when it came to like starting the watch videos, for example... I decided I wanted to do voiceover for them and not record in, in real time like some of the people in the space had tried. And so what I did is I recorded and edited the entire video. I got my microphone, which by the way, I already have a nice microphone from doing podcasting. I have a room that's set up to record. Mm-hmm. I have the software to do it. So you have some built-in All advantages. All of that stuff uh, that I built yeah. up before. I hit yeah. record. And you know what I did? I did the whole damn thing in one take. No script. I just went, off I go. Mm-hmm. One take. I didn't even stop, right? I, I didn't mm-hmm. screw up a single sentence where I was like, eh, I'll go back and start that again. I didn't get off on some tangent where I go, what am I talking about? Like re- rewind, stay on track with the thing. I just banged it out end to end. And I was just like, going there with a purpose. And it was easy. Yeah. Like I've been talking over people shuffling pieces of cardboard <laughs> for 12 years to fill time. I can yeah. come up. Gets you prepared. Right. I, I have that muscle very well worked out from years and years on the road, years and years of doing podcasts off the fly with no script, all that kind of stuff. There's, it's not a coincidence, right? It's like I partly built the videos so that they would take advantage of things that I already knew how to do, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you're building off of things that you've self-selection, putting yourself in advantageous spaces, right? Like, yeah. it, it's not like I'm like, you know, I want to win a beauty pageant. 
And hey, look, mm-hmm. I managed to rise I'm to sure the top. I'm sure you could, though, if you yeah, wanted to. Yeah, no, I know. I, I feel like something tells me if you if you trained at it, you probably <laughs> They're could. They're banging you know? down the door or right now. bodybuilding Yeah, bodybuilding, yeah. right? <laughs> the bodybuilders won't leave me alone. They're like, come on, you got to get in here. You know, I'm, I'm eating a bag of potato chips and an Arnold Palmer or whatever, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm selecting for things, you know, that that would... And I'm not doing it consciously, by the way. It's just, you know, we go towards the things that we're good at, Right. I go play basketball. I'm 6'5". Like, it helps, right? It doesn't make you a good basketball player. But if you put in the same work that somebody who isn't does, you're going to be better than them, right? Right. And it's like, you know, so, you know, there's a reason I don't play soccer, right? And it's like, you know, so each of these things isn't really coincidental. It's, It's sort of an accumulation of things I might be naturally good at or that I've worked hard to be good at, or that I have a lot of experience with and just sort of got good at by doing that. And then Mm -hmm. in the case of the watch thing, putting those pieces together and creating something that I'm proud of and also it finding the audience and it finding a Mm -hmm. bigger audience than we have in Magic, for example. Mm -hmm. How do you know what your audience wants? Either either project, like how do you know or maybe let's start with LR. Like, how do you know? You mentioned, for example, like, you know, people don't want uh, another like Wilds of Eldraine thing right now. Like, how do you know that? I don't know. I feel very in tune it's to my intuition audience. Or... Yeah. I feel very, like, I mean, the, the litmus test is always what would I want? Because okay. I am a consumer. Doing it for yourself. Yeah, in just a way. put myself in those shoes. I'm interested in watches and restoration stuff. So I would be a viewer of my videos as it turns out, right? I'm not I'm not making tutorials about something that I don't know how to do or I'm not interested in, right? So I am theoretically one of my own viewers. So like a good example that, with the watch channel that's corollary to what you just said is, okay, well, how do I know that people don't want to hear about Wild Civil Drain right now? I just know because I would be one of the viewers. When it comes to like, the watch channel. You mentioned this earlier, but I want to reiterate it, which is that I'm trying to give people what they want, what I think they want, which is, for example, when I put out a new watch video, it's a watch restoration every single time. I played around at the very beginning of the channel with a few other types of content that I may want to make, like a watch review or like a more YouTuber style thing where like, you know, um, like I got a new tool. Hey, let's take a look at this and figure out how it works and whatever. And pretty quickly I was like, mm, I just want to do like the reason I'm here is to do these restorations. And when people come and see that I've put up a new video, I actually don't want them to find anything other than that restoration. Cause you don't want to be the subscriber that like gets a notification. Like there's a new thing. And then it's like, Oh, it's a, it's a review or something. Right. Not what I expect. Right. And I mean, there's other people in my space that have gone down that road and I just, I just shake my head. I, I just, and then they complain because the algorithm's screwing them because, you know, it's just yeah. like, dude, nobody wants to see you talk about some, you know, and, and by the way, just like a little behind the scenes <laughs> on the watch YouTuber space, the way sure. it works is when you get a certain following, then the micro brands as they're known. So these are small, small watch companies that use component parts from Switzerland mm-hmm. and or China and have a few things custom made for them, but everything else is kind of off the shelf stuff. And they combine mm-hmm. them together into their watch. And then it's cheaper, much, much cheaper than any of the, the big brands are. 
and they will usually go for a certain type of theme. Like, oh, this one's like based on submarines or Vikings or airplanes or whatever. And those are the design elements that they put in. Well, they start knocking at your door. And basically what they say is, we will send you our watch. You can keep it if you do a review. Yeah. But yeah. guess what people free absolutely review. hate to watch? Some crappy off-brand nothing watch that they never heard of. And you're going to say, it wears pretty well on the wrist. And it's a little big. And I like the hands. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like nobody gives a crap. Like I would, that's just to me just like pure poison. And I mm. know my audience wouldn't like that. How mm -hmm. do I know? I don't know. Probably because I would hate it. Mm -hmm. That's the barometer yeah. or that's the bar. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, I am ultimately making content that I would consume myself. Mm -hmm. You know, that's mm -hmm. another thing is that, like, I, I don't think I could do it another way. Like, I think if you hired me, let's say, James, you said, Marshall, I want to start a makeup tutorial YouTube channel. Those are doing really good. There you and go. I, Gotta go to Marshall's And, and I want for Marshall that. for yeah. it. And let's say I wasn't going to be on it. I just was going to be the person Behind who the scenes. did all the content, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think I could figure out what worked and make a good version of one of those. I could hire somebody who had the right look, appeal, the uh, personality, skill set. I think I could direct and write or schedule. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I'm not a member of the audience. So it would right. make it really hard for me to have like a great pulse on that. Mm. you know so it's just a a natural thing i think that i mean i would assume that almost all content creators are creating content for the, uh, an audience that they would be a part of right because it's at least the level two three four that you mentioned right people that are not chasing that they actually yeah, exactly you know, and again yeah. look at the time frame for people that pop up on that and get a bunch of followers really quick they just leave they, they never stick right around. right does that mean that you've been like uh, asked to consult or people come to you asking for uh, your take on, for example, YouTube or on wristwatches or on magic? Like, are you getting those opportunities? All the time. Yeah. And I take them. Okay. I love helping people. Because that's actually valuable and you like talking about what you're yeah, actually doing. I don't charge or anything. I, I, I've thought about doing like a small side thing where I do like some consulting for it and can actually like charge something for it. But I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. So I just don't. And I just, yeah, perfect example. I don't want to blow up her spot, but we have a hair and makeup lady at the pro tour. She does our makeup and our styling and stuff. And uh, she's independent contractor. She's great. And uh, I had a call with her just last week. We talked for two and a half hours because she wants to start um, a individual project around making like tutorials for people that want to get into that business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she said, Hey, I know you do this stuff. And I said, yeah, no problem. And, and she lives in um, Kansas city and we got on Skype or whatever. And, and mm -hmm. we did it, you know, I love doing that stuff cause I love helping people and I love seeing, mm -hmm. I love empowering people to succeed. I love inspiring people. And I also like being really honest with people. You know, I like telling mm -hmm. people like, is there any reason to think that you're better at this than anybody else? What's your unfair advantage basically? Right. Like, are you good at this? And yeah. if you're not, is there a way that you could get good at this? And do you love it? Right? Yeah. Are do you, you able to this? grind? Right. What yeah. are your goals? Do you care? Like, is it, you want to make this thing because you believe that the world's a better place with it in it? Are you trying to make money? Are you trying to do something in between? Are you trying to become a full-time? Uh, another example, on uh, next Wednesday, I'm going to a local high school here. And actually, as mm -hmm. it turns out, it was going to be separate. But Ryan and I, OG Ryan Spain from... Uh, my first co-host, you know, that founded limited resources with me, 
we're going to do an hour speech thing to some high school kids, uh, like a career day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to tell them how to become a content creator, but I'm going to tell them how to actually oh. do it. You know, not just like you have the real way or your way. Right, yeah. My way, which yeah. is that you need a foundation of, yeah. I mean, frankly, of income and stability. And then you start to build it alongside. And then when it's, when it can hold your weight, then you jump over and, and go all into it. But right. if, if you build it up and it doesn't quite get to the point that you can hold, that it can hold your weight, then you either need to wait till it does, or you need to try something different. Right. You know, and, and I just, like being just, straightforward with people too, because just the truth, yeah, I'm not a cheerleader. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't just tell you, you can do this. You got this. Like yeah. I'll actually it's not look, a pep talk. Yeah. I'll actually look at what they have and ask them hard questions. I'll say like, like one thing I asked the hair and makeup lady, I said, are you proud of what you made? Like, are you proud to put this out into the world, have complete strangers view it and think that they're going to get out of it what you hoped that they would get out of it? And like a lot of people don't think about that, right? They just make it and they're excited and it's cool. But it's like, you know how difficult it can be to pull yourself away from the thing that you've made. You know, they call it killing your babies when you have to like cut the really tough scenes from something that you really loved, but they just don't fit. Are you able to do that? Like, that's obviously a, a big skill. Right. Because a lot of times you just start sort of doing it and then you're just doing it and you don't really ever think, is this actually good? Am I actually mm-hmm. good at this? Am I, or, you know, is this actually adding to the world or am I just making stuff and sort of spewing it out into the world? You know, because you got to have high standards, right? I mean, you're never going to survive in any con. I mean, content creation is so commodified now. Anybody can do it with a laptop, which I think is inspiring mm-hmm. and awesome. But it also mm-hmm. means that you're not going to be the only one doing the thing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when I hear about how, um, I'm sure they have good reasons to do it, but like fitness influencers, like they're, they're, some of them are, are newer to that space on YouTube and whatnot. And they're frustrated that they're not getting that much traction. Well, well, I mean, it's like, <laughs> just look at it this way. Like you, you might already have great, great content and you're doing it, but like, how are you separating yourself from, like the million of other existing people that have larger audiences from day zero of when you started, like you have to really stand out if you're choosing to play in that pond and you have to really have a strong why if you, you have to really want it. Otherwise, like I can't, you can't just do, uh, another limited resources. Like there's already limited resources, Right. right? Um, like, you have to do it like 10 times better or do it in a very different way. Otherwise, why the heck would people watch your stuff? There's already Marshall and Luis and the other co-hosts. Like why? Like people don't are not like honest with themselves enough about that stuff. Yeah. Cause you need to answer that question. And a lot of times the answer is like they would being for search. If there's Google, like Google's already out there. And, and, and that's a perfect example because a lot of times if you, either ask yourself that or get asked that question why you don't answer it because the answer sucks and the answer is they wouldn't they wouldn't listen to what i have to say over the people that are already there and Mm -hmm. if that's the case then you are in a already saturated space i mean there's only two ways like i got lucky right everybody that gets to a certain level has fortunate things happen we all all need a little bit of luck Mm -hmm. or survivorship bias i get that yeah but at the same time you have to give yourself credit too. For example, LR, perfect example. I got lucky because I happened to get exposed to podcasts and then started one before they were really a thing. But also, I got exposed to podcasts, thought to myself, these are really cool. 
and mm-hmm. recognized that and started one, right? So it's like, it's not just luck. It was operating. You had the early mover advantage and you believed in right. it. Right. And you consistently executed. Right, but it wasn't it like I was just things. sitting there and somebody handed me a microphone and said, start a podcast. <laughs> I had never done anything like that before, right? right. So, I, so, you right. know, so there's that. But then the other side, the other, so, but, but I still attribute that in many ways to right place, right time, right? Mm-hmm. Early on podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Now look at Wristwatch Revival. That was not the case. There were already watch restoration people on YouTube. Mm-hmm. But when I came in, I did it my way. Long mm-hmm. form. Over mm-hmm. uh, voiceover. Not, not 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. And I talked the whole time. And that was a very conscious mm-hmm. decision. Because I think I mentioned it to you before, but you know I have a theory about what I call second monitor content, which is content that you can consume while you're doing something like, else. Like magic coverage so, or magic coverage, restoration. Podcasts. Uh, yep. I talked to Luis about his YouTube videos for this. I believe your, your shows, obviously. Um, I feel that there's a big space for that on YouTube. I think a lot of people have stuff going on while they're working or while they're doing something else. And I wanted my video on wristwatch revival to be that so i don't have long spaces of silence and i don't use music i talk as if i were having a conversation with you basically the whole time and if Mm -hmm. something crazy happens you'll hear me change my inflection oh what just happened here and then you look over now and you see there's a spring and a screw flew off and i broke something right but otherwise it's chill and you can look over every once in a while or you know you can watch it, of course, if you want. I mean, it's, it's meant to be viewed. But I'm saying you can consume my content as second monitor content as well. Right. So I came in and did that. Now, there are four, You're getting copycats, four or five sure. copycats straight up. Like literally, yeah. they take my thumbnail template. And it just, it's the same thing. It's a picture of the watch with <laughs> the square. It's just very unabashed, yes. unabashed, like I, just cloning. I, I found yeah. this. Yeah, just yesterday, I found one. And this isn't a straight up copycat, but it's obviously inspired by, let's say, but mm-hmm. he had five thumbnails and I just, I have them right here and they all have the word revival in them. And yeah, my, to, and my to channel SEO, called... to pick up on the, mm-hmm. your search terms or whatnot. Right. So that people go, right? Oh, that must be the wristwatch revival guy. Click that. Mm. Right. And it's like, yeah. you know, th- I don't care. I, I welcome like, do you really not care? How does no, that? No, I really feel, don't. I mean, like, I think it's awesome. Like I want, I have confidence in what I'm putting out such that I want more people in this space. I want it to become more of a thing. I want to drag everybody up with me. I tide lifts all boats. Totally. Kind of I, I believe in that. Like if this guy reached out and said, Hey, I'm having trouble with my videos. Can you help me? I would help him. Like, even mm. though he's blatantly ripping off, he's just trying to copy me, you know? Yeah. And I don't care. Like, I, I, I mean that. I, I don't, I'm not just saying that. Like, I actually would support this person. I just think it's cool that he's making them. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, frankly, if people watch a video and, it, and, and they're like, well, I really like Marshall's videos, but I'll try this one and it's worse than yours, it just makes yours look better. Like, it just yeah. makes people go, yeah, I'm not going over there, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. But at any rate, my point is, with LR, there's a significant element of being in the right time in the right place and kind of jumping on it. But with Wristwatch Revival, that wasn't the case. It was entering it and being different and mm-hmm. then that carving out the space to to rise to the top, right? And those mm-hmm. are two very different things, two, for, two different approaches that you can have. 
But like you yeah. said, if if you're making basically the same content, but it's just not as good, that's a very steep hill to climb. Yeah. If you're making a LR, I don't even know. You can't really call it unlimited resources because that wouldn't be <laughs> yeah. limited. But if you made like some facsimile show, um, that would be that would be tough. It would I be. I mean, I was going to. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, because I, I feel like, obviously, Limit LR is one of the first, right? Um, I think you're probably the first. But there's been a lot of limited content since then, not just podcasts, but also uh, the field. And I, you had just mentioned that, you know, you welcome. Like, the yeah. more different perspectives on this stuff, the better. I love those guys. Corticals, like, Lord it, of Limited, like, those guys are great. Is there is there a large overlap of audience? Like, are people listening to LR? Do you even know? Yeah, like, think, are they I also listening is. to all the shows? I think there is. Yeah. Um, I don't know for sure because I would need to kind of see. I don't even know what their numbers are or anything like that. I guess you've never done a survey. No, or I haven't. Not like that. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if there's a, a big overlap because, you know, a lot of what Luis and I lean on at this point are personalities. Like, hanging out mm -hmm. with us is kind of one of our selling points or whatever because we almost like talk radio right. that happens because we've be been around limited. for so long that people are just used to us and they know all our inside jokes and all our stupid stuff we obviously still care very much about making our audience better at magic that is still very much mm -hmm. our prime directive yeah, for the show it's got to be about the puns too yeah but we, yeah. we have to get luis's stupid jokes <laughs> making fun of me and all that stuff in there too and where like you know lords of limited like they're very much of the like arena grinder mindset and you can definitely get that type of like those guys draft. I mean, Lewis and I draft a lot, but those guys really go at it, you know, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, we're more like conceptual broad strokes learning. They're a little more kind of on the ground. Here's what I found. I tried a thing, that type of stuff learning. And right. I think there's space for both. Right. Like, I think they yeah. have a really good show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's draft. I mean, I mean, there's a bunch like there's, yeah yeah you know i just asked about like you know who's your audience like do you feel like that audience for lr has is it the same has it evolved like do you do you have a good grasp on that because i because it's, it's kind of a multifaceted question it's not just like the your audience but also how magic has evolved or how limited has evolved you know yeah so. i so this is this goes back to what we were talking about with your show and stuff audience wise our show hasn't grown significantly in years there's some amount of turnover, but there's new people coming in. But there has been no significant dip down or influx of people. It's been pretty stable. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and the Patreon's been stable for that whole time. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, it hasn't changed in six or seven years. And so for me, that says we're at the reasonable upper limit of the audience that we could have. Right. Now, of course... We could go much harder, revamp the whole YouTube channel, go to two weeks, two shows a week, blah, 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 to try and to maybe push it that grows out. by like 10%, right. but it's not like an order of magnitude, right? right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's kind of like your calculus. Right. And so, yeah. you know, even if I wished that the audience was bigger, which I don't, I like where it's at. But even if I did, I had, I'd have to look myself in the mirror and say, well, <laughs> this is what it is. Like, again, I can do some stuff to try to bump it a bit. But realistically, we're taking up the audience that we're supposed to have in the world right now. Mm -hmm. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, I mean, I'm in a niche of a niche of a You know what I mean? It's like gaming, magic, competitive magic, limited competitive. I mean, this is so like, yeah. you know, the fact that we have the audience we have is just remarkable. Like it's right. 
you know. But again, like I said, we are leaning on, like, we get, you know, some amount of messages from people saying, like, I don't even play anymore, but I just like hang, listening to you guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's more like it's a just companion a, type of right. listening it's, it's experience. A, it's a part of their life. And I mean, you know, of course, the, when you have a show that's been around as long as ours has, you get weird stuff. You know, I was five when I started listening to you, and you're like in college <laughs> now, and it's like, oh, God, you know, or... Yeah, it really has been that mm-hmm. long, I think. You yeah. know, stuff like um, when I first started doing GPs, somebody would come, oh, I love the show. And I would say, who was the co-host when you started listening? And, oh, it was Brian Wong. It was John Laux. It was Ryan. It was, you know, Luis yeah. came in. Oh, I've just started listening. It's Luis. If I ask anybody now, it's just Luis. Like, there's nobody mm-hmm. left, you know, that started listening. Because when he's Ryan. outlasted everybody. Right, because yeah, because he's been the, else. the co-host for like eight years now. Yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, I think this is one of the final questions here, but um, how would LR work as a solo hosting show? Like, is it because even from the beginning, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a duel. Mm-hmm. Like, could that? Is there an other spaces for other types of things where it's a solo show or or not? Because you mentioned like riffing with Luis is probably one of the ways that it's sustainable, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, LR fundamentally was the, the fundamental premise of LR going all the way back to Ryan was I was learning and he was teaching. So my role was to intelligently put myself in the seat of the listener. So if Ryan said, oh, well, you should never block there. I would be the person to say, well, the average listener may not know why. I happen to know yeah, why. So, so you have to ask why. why? Like why, right? why? And then yeah. if I got an explanation that left something out or that assumed something that I may not have known, I needed to know enough to be able to recognize that on behalf of the listener. With John and Brian, it was a mostly similar dynamic. The problem Were you is, still in the student role? Or so the it problem was, is, is that I got and... good at it. Like at limited, right? Not yeah. great, but I got good enough at it so that like, so they're almost like even straw man questions because you kind of know the answers. Yeah, but I mean that's yeah. my whole role in the booth too. Like I know the answer yeah. to almost every question I ask them. In fact, if I don't know it. the answer, I usually won't even ask it because I don't I don't want right. to get myself into a spot where they don't know either. But when it's Louis Scott Vargas, I still get to be the student. Because he's goat, relatively. Because he's a goat yeah. tier, right? I mean, he's a top five mm-hmm. player of all time, period. And that means, and, and I've done nothing in competitive magic of relevance. So what that means is, is that I still get to take the asking questions. He's the authority figure. I'm guiding the ship type of role. So I would have to, in order to do a content uh, from one voice, would be like a complete overhaul. Mm-hmm. of of how i view limited resources because that dialogue of the uh the teacher student exchange would not be there right. and i always want the viewing audience or the listening audience to be able to count on me to ask the questions and to be again not like a like at this point i i, I can't realistically sit and be like a full student mode because they know mm-hmm. that i play and that i care you know so it doesn't yeah you're like the 40-year-old college student. Right. Yeah. And so, exactly. And so, you know, but as it sits, I do get to let Luis set the tone for what we think about, what, how we approach these problems on the show. And if that weren't the case, 
it would be a much different show. Although you asking it does make me think, I wonder what that would look like. And I don't know off the top of my head. It would be different though. Mm -hmm. it, it wouldn't be a mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Um, that does, that is interesting. I guess the one comment I'll have, the last one I'll have is like, I wonder if that's why some shows don't work. I, I, because they don't have that sort of, I don't, maybe it, maybe it's wrong to say power dynamic, but it's like having like defined roles of student teacher, uh, because if you have co-hosts and they're all kind of like, their roles are all kind of like equal or undefined, mm -hmm. that's just kind of like, it's different. Oh, right? definitely. Cause it's, then it's not like the Socratic method. It's not like a teaching method. It's, um, maybe that's why some, uh, some duels don't work or maybe yeah. like maybe but I, it could also be hard i think in your case because doesn't ego play into it like at some point when you're a student for a very long time doesn't that make you want to yeah. be the teacher it does and part of my it's almost like keeping the band together right, you know? exactly but part of my job as co-host of lr and part of my job in the booth is to set that aside like i it's for the benefit of the viewer that i set aside my ego about wanting people to think that I'm good at magic too. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, some of my most infuriating moments in the booth early on were when my actual expert sitting next to me didn't get that. And I would ask them a question on behalf of the audience and they would answer it in like a condescending way to me. And it made me so angry because I was like, I know the answer yeah. idiot. Like I, <laughs> I'm asking, and they, so you're making they didn't me know feel the roles stupid. that were. It's the whole yeah. role assignment thing, and not right. being aware of it, which is ironic coming from magic. Right, players, and right? it made me so mad because it made me feel dumb, but also it made the whole audience feel dumb because anybody who you know how it is in a classroom where one person finally asked the, the question and there's like six people who were like, oh thank God, you know, like I wanted to know too, and the teacher yeah. just assumed everybody knew the answer already, and it's like they didn't. I'm that guy, and. Then, but if, if I ask that question and the teacher goes, what are you stupid? You should already know this. Then all, then seven other people in the room That's are like, infuriating. Mm, I didn't, yeah. I'm glad I didn't ask that question, you know? So, right. yeah, but that was way it's early not setting the and tone. that type of stuff. But no, I mean, it's just the job. I mean, you know, mm. like when you're sitting next to, you know, somebody with a bunch of like Luis or Paul Chian or whatever, like those guys have credibility that I don't. So even if I know the same things that they do about a certain board state or interaction or card or whatever, um, my whole job is to lift them up. And sometimes, right. I mean, I wouldn't say it's at my expense, but you know, it means that I don't get to flex that muscle. One of the most rewarding things though, is if I'll see in the chat that I'll ask a question and somebody in the chat will be like, how the hell doesn't Marshall know this? And I'm just like, I just roll my eyes, but then somebody will respond right. and say, he does know he's asking so that it prompts the conversation for, for you, you yeah know? and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah somebody yeah I, yeah when you have advocates on your yeah. behalf that's the best because i can't say yeah. that you know i can't like go in yeah. the chat and be like hey dude i actually do know the answer you know that that makes up for the eye rolling uh the brief eye rolling because that's when you know yeah. that people understand the value that you're trying to right. bring but i mean the bottom line is is that i'm there to be a conduit for the people who don't know this stuff and that's I, I mean, I'm a professional, I'm being paid to be there <laughs> and my ego doesn't play in, you know, I, I got to do the job. And that, that lack of ego is also innate. No, I have the ego. I just have to set it aside. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, training to let go of that ego. Like, how did you, how did you learn? It's to not set that it aside? strong for me. Like, it didn't. I didn't have to train for it or anything. I'm, I'm saying I have. Like, of course, I want people to think that I'm good at stuff, right? Everybody wants that, and of course, I want people to think that I'm good at magic. But, I mean, the truth is that like I'm much, much better at magic than most people, but I'm not anywhere near like Luis or any of the like pro guys. They're way, way better than I am, even though I've been around this game for a long time. So I don't have a big ego attachment to it, you know, because my thought process usually is if I get an ego about something, then I'll just show you that I can do it, right? Like I don't, you know what I mean? Like, like we were talking about basketball and I was joking about, oh, I want to be the best player in my pickup game or whatever, right? Well, I don't have to like sit here and tell you, like, come play, right? Like, you could just watch me play, and yeah, you can it's say, a "Joke to to announce to the world that you're good right, at basketball." Just show and it. Of course, I'm just, also just playing pickup with a bunch of old guys. Like, it's not like I'm sure. You know, I, I I have my brain on still. You know, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and yeah. so it's like, you know, whatever. And you know, if you tell me I think you're the third best player in this game, I'll just be like, okay, like I don't. It doesn't hurt my feelings. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm good at knowing where I'm at on a pecking order, yeah. you know, and sometimes yeah. I happen to be the best one. And a lot of times I'm not. And that's, I, as long as I feel like I'm doing as well as I can, I'm fine. You know, like it is not my goal to be an amazing magic player. It is mm -hmm. my goal to be an amazing commentator and a podcaster, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't have any ego tied up in it because I've never even really made a push. Like Luis and Paul played eight hours a day for three years straight. Yeah, I interviewed them about their magic online peak. I mean, horrible. You know, that that was insane. Right. I mean, this is like they they've both said don't do it. Yeah, don't it's wish down anybody. It's extremely unhealthy. It's not fun, you know. And and I never did that. I didn't put in my 10,000 hours to get to the level that they got. I think mm -hmm. if I had, I would be somewhere in their range, but I haven't. Maybe still not quite there and yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not even close to as good as those guys. I mean, I I know how they think and I know how they play and it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, they're just way better. I think that honest self-assessment is so important because like, I, I also just, I, I'm not the best magic player. It makes life a lot I'm easier, so much, man, when you could just I'm be so much better out. at doing this and you're so much better yeah. at doing this than, yeah. than some other thing that we, we could be like, you know, in the top 500 or I could be in the top five or you could be in the top one for what you're doing. And it's better to be on top. Right? Definitely. And, and just be honest about it. And I it. want to be judged based on the things that I have legitimately tried to be the best at. Right. Like I have legitimately tried to be the best player in my pickup game, you know? Right. And like, if I, you're working on that three point shot. I, exactly. Yeah. And like, if, if you were to, if I were somebody else on the thing and we were picking teams of all the guys that play regularly, I would legitimately pick me. I, I actually would. Like, I think I have the right. biggest impact on winning. There's another guy there that's really and that's close. not an ego thing because that's the I'm results. I'm just saying right? the truth, right? If if if, yeah. if I was the third best, like, good example, that's my pickup game. I also play in a men's league. I am definitely mm -hmm. not the best player on my team in the men's league, right? Mm -hmm. I would put myself at about third. There's two guys that I would pick mm -hmm. above me if I was picking from that pool the, of players. The 6'8 person is He's in not the on men's that team. league? No. Okay, well, okay, um, all right. But, you know, so, like... You know, and, and again, I, to me, that's totally fine. Like I, I'm good with that. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah, you know, your I, role. it doesn't you know hurt my place. feelings that he's better than me. Like the guy probably is like better athlete works, worked harder than I did or whatever. Right. Like right. he earned it, you right. know, yeah. deserves it.
Yeah, it's the same with me. I'm not in basketball anymore, so I'm not trying to be the best. Well, basketball when are you going to come like, to Seattle? You can come to my game. I I want to, man. Come I, I really want to play. We'll go out I really to want to shoot some hoops. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't been to Seattle since pre-COVID. That's that's how long, you know. Well, um, the let last me know time when I you was visit. In, in the U.S., I I, I was at uh, it was in California, mm-hmm. and I was in L.A. I actually got to meet up with uh, Josh and Jimmy. I went oh, to their cool. uh, to their house where they did the the game nights, uh-huh. and I I would love to do like. Um, Sorry, this is a little bit like outside of it, but I would love to do like in-person podcasts yeah. more. You well, know? next but time I, you're in Seattle, you, know. you can come over to my place, and we'll we'll go we'll yeah we'll go get some good food. We'll go play hoops, and we'll do a we'll do a pod. Okay, okay, we'll do a proper yeah. uh, uh, a hangout. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, all you have to do is get Marshall, on that short flight over. <laughs> yeah, short. Well, I mean, I actually am going to be in uh, in in. Uh, in LA at sometime this year, end of the okay. year. So well, maybe it is a actually a short flight from LA. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. It yeah. is. Yeah, I I really want to make a nice trip out of it. I mean, I plan to go. So I I'm actually from Vancouver, I Canada, know. as you probably we're know. neighbors, and so yeah, it's just a hop and a skip away. Yeah. So yeah, you, yeah, you can yeah. use my car. You can go up to Vancouver. Like it's all gonna be great. You just, just <laughs> oh no, that that's too much no, hospitality. No, just let me know when friend. you get I, here, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I could drive your uh, your vintage car. No, well, not the vintage. You can use the new one. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. But don't feel bad. Um, I'll take it out on on basketball court. Like I'll I'll just take it okay. all out on you there, and then I would embarrass myself. <laughs> but I, I would I would uh, I I I I have just the stamina now and nothing else. Well, you'll be the only the one running, in the but... game with stamina, so that, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> if you need someone to just run yeah. up and down a full court yeah. game, I can do we that. Do. Yes, just <laughs> yeah, take charges or whatever. Um, <laughs> all right, Marshall, thank you so much. This is honestly one of the most pleasant experience i've had this year doing you this bet, podcast James, man thanks for having this me is, on. this is this is incredible thank you thank you so I much i appreciate it thank you for listening to humans of magic you've made it to the end thanks so much you're awesome if you'd like to support the show there are two ways to do so the first way is the most powerful tell a friend tell them to check out humans of magic i'd love it if you could spread the word the second way is to join the Humans of Magic Patreon at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Patreon is the best way to directly support the show from a financial perspective. For as little as $2 a month, you can support me and join the Discord. It gives me the power to keep cranking out new episodes with your favorite magic people. If you want to go the $5 support route, you'll get a digital copy of the Humans of Magic book. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you, as always, making it all the way to the end, and we'll see you next time.